everybody. It's Amanda back with another Made for TV Mayhem show. And this time we've got the full crew here. So um, I'm here with Dan. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? I bet they're all doing really well, actually. Yeah. I'm going to answer for them. And finally, Nate right. got a day off from work and from pregnant people. Hi, Nate. Yes. I finally got <laughs> let out of the attic. <laughs> Yay. Did you have to claw your way out or did somebody finally come and let you out? I clawed my way out. You clawed oh. your way out. That's much after, more glamorous. After scaring a neighbor woman to death, son of a bitch. <laughs> I really well, didn't mean to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Accidental. We'll, we'll talk about Mrs. Schumacher because we love her. <laughs> uh, so tonight, in case you don't know, is about Bad Ronald. And we paired it up with a semi-obscure movie called Through Naked Eyes, which came out in 1983 and stars Pam Dauber's hair. Woohoo! So, <laughs> and David Soul on on lots of baroque flute. You know what? David Soul looks a little bit like Jeffrey Dahmer in Through Naked Eyes. I have to admit, and that's not a bad thing. Just put no. that out there. Yeah, I know everybody turns off the podcast now, but I, I you, the more you learn about me, the more you realize I like Jeffrey Dahmer. So, okay, so here we go. So tonight the theme is voyeurism. And uh, I was going to do a big thing on voyeurism, like I was going to do all about like the male gaze and like blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Everybody knows about it. And it just seems like too much for what we're going to do. Um, maybe a little too heavy. But what I think is really interesting, though, is that the act of watching is what we all do when we are watching a movie. So in a lot of ways, we are voyeurs. So when you see it in a film, there's something strangely fascinating about it. And when done right, it's really fascinating. Um, I'm thinking of movies like Body Double in particular, I think really hits the nail on the head. Bad Ronald, of course, does it. And I think through Naked Eyes, uh, through most of it, well, through the first half, it, they kind of drop the voyeurism halfway into it. And we'll discuss that when we get to it. But um, so I made a short list of TV movies that have some sort of uh, act of voyeurism in it. And I'm going to use that uh, before we go. I'm going to do that before we go into Bad Ronald. So um, I didn't really make a lot of notes about these movies. And a lot of them I haven't seen. But um, if one of you two have seen one of them, let me know. And I'll just give you a brief uh, background on the ones that I have seen. So there was a movie that came out, I think, in the 2000s called View of Terror with Shannon Doherty, which is actually pretty good, um, about a girl who breaks up with her boyfriend. And she and her pet parrot move to a new apartment. And somebody is watching them and calling her on the phone and threatening her and blah, blah, blah. And the movie's really just her trying to figure out who the killer is. And it's it's the most obvious person in the film because it's the person that they try to make least likely to be the person, but it's actually really good. I think Shannon Doherty's really good in it. Um, there's a movie called Someone's Watching Me, which uh, would actually have been a really good double feature with Through Naked Eyes, but um, because we were doing Bad Ronald first, this just kind of popped up. But Someone's Watching Me is actually John Carpenter's first TV movie. Um, he did it in the late 70s with Lauren Hutton, and it's about um, a news producer who uh, moves into a new apartment in L.A., and somebody starts peeping on her. And Adrienne Barbeau is in it, and she plays her uh, gay best friend. And it's really creepy, um, and it's on DVD. I highly recommend people watch it, and I know eventually we're going to get to it. Um, when I did some research, I also ran into Chiller, which has some peeping in it, but it, I don't think it really concentrates on peeping. It just has moments of it. You just and, really like Chiller is what it is. and you. Uh, yeah, I just put it on there. There's no peeping in it. I just put it on there. So, <laughs> Any chance you get? Yeah, so everybody should check that out. Um, it's a good movie either way. Uh, then there's a movie called Through the Eyes of a Killer, which I really want to watch with uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Is that his name? The guy played MacGyver? 
Yes, yes. And I believe, I don't know this much about it, I just kind of discovered it, but apparently it's about a woman who breaks up with her boyfriend and she moves into a dilapidated house or apartment and she hires this guy, played by Richard Dean Anderson, to renovate it. And I think he basically moves into the house without her knowing it. And it sounds amazing. And I feel like it's from the 90s. It's from 1992. Okay. And I don't know if Mark Helgenberger is the love interest or not. I can't remember. But for some reason, that just sounds right to me. Then there's something called Wall of Secrets, which I think I've seen. I think it's a Lifetime movie with Nicole Egger about a girl that moves into a building with her husband. And um, strange things start happening. And I feel like they're under constant surveillance. Um, If it's the same movie I'm thinking of, it's pretty good. I wouldn't, like, run out to see it. But they move into a really awesome apartment. So it's worth it just for, like, the set design. Then I wrote down something called The Bridge, which I have no idea what it is. And when I looked at it again, I couldn't figure it out. So who knows what that is. Um, then I wrote down Psycho 4, which I haven't seen in a long time. But I guess there's some peeper stuff in it. Does anybody know? I, I, I've never seen Psycho 4. I stopped at 3. Ugh. I've seen it, but it's been a really long time. Wasn't um... – uh, Jess from Black Christmas. Didn't yes. she play Mrs. Bates in it? Olivia Hussey's in it, correct? Yes. Yeah, I feel like there. I feel like that's right. That I, I think I've seen that in the movie, but it, I it came out in 1990, and I probably last time I saw it was probably like 1990. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. who knows? But anyway, you can put that on your list too. And eventually, when I get some time, when I get out of school, I'm gonna. I we've been making lists of movies like every podcast we do we mention movies and i've been trying to write them down and if i can find where i have all the lists i'm going to make like a recommended viewing list and this will be on there um then there's a movie called fade to black which sounds amazing with heather locklear timothy busfield and cloris leachman and i think dustin dustin busfield timothy bus (laughs) i don't know where that came from timothy busfield plays a sexy clarinet musician and I guess he sees something across the way, very much like through naked eyes. Um, mm. And but I think he sees a murder, and then he figures out that Heather Locklear is like the next target. So he, you know, tries to help her, and I'm sure they fall in love, and stuff happens. And it's I'm sure it's incredible. Um, and then there's something called The Boy Next Door with Dinah Meyer, the girl from uh, Starship Troopers and 90210. I, I'm not sure I'm saying her name right. Um, really beautiful. I think she has red hair. Uh, she plays an author who likes to like watch people through her window. And then I think a murder occurs next door and everybody thinks she's the killer because she's just really creepy because she's always watching the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's something in here called Terror in the Shadows. And I wrote this down with a question mark because I've seen this movie and I recommend everybody watch it. It's streaming on Amazon and some video for free right now if you have a Prime account. Um, because it's full of soap stars. It's got Jeannie Francis, uh, Lee McClowski, and Marcy Walker. And it's about like this crazy woman who escapes from a mental institution. And I think she thinks this guy has her kid and she insinuates herself into their life. And I believe she's actually living in their basement for a period and they don't realize she's actually in the house. And it's, it's got some really creepy stuff in it. Um, and then the last movie I wrote down is also really good. It's called Video Voyeur, the Susan Wilson story, which is a lifetime movie uh, starring Angie Harmon and Dale Midkiff. And I really only need to say Dale Midkiff to get people to see it, I'm sure, because <laughs> he's Dale Midkiff. Um, and it's a true story about a, a couple. I guess they were a family. I think they had two kids or one kid at least. And they move into a house and somebody has drilled holes all through their house and has been videotaping them. And I mean, he videotapes him doing everything, like going to the bathroom, 
changing, like everything. And it turns out he's this guy that they've known for like forever. And it's a great movie. Um, I've seen it several times and uh, I think it's on video. So you can see that there's kind of a history of this actually on television, which is interesting because television has to tone a lot of stuff down, but they've still managed to make some pretty interesting movies about what is a pretty taboo kind of thing. Um, most people don't peep and tell you about it. Right. <laughs> so, um, so I, that's the history I have of it. I'm sure that there are other titles. And if anybody out there listening knows of a really good uh, Voyeur TV movie, we'd like to hear it. And we're going to have all our feedback information at the end. So um, I guess we can go ahead and get started. That's yeah. just a little background. I don't have anything else to add to it. Does anybody want to talk about voyeurism and television? I, I was just going to say two things from the list you read. Okay. Uh, one, one was uh, – that one was Shannon Doherty and the parrot. Is the, is the parrot the uh, – the... <laughs> troublemaker in that one no and he's not the hero either i feel like the parrot actually gets kidnapped at some point and that's when things really fall apart Mm. because she's like they took my parrot and then she becomes shannon doherty you know what i mean (laughs) kick ass i know she she is kick ass you know i'm a huge shannon doherty fan and at some point we i think we want to do a shannon versus tori double feature oh yeah yeah because they're both they both make excellent tv movies i think shannon's uh Movies are more subdued. Like you're not going to get a co-ed call girl out of her, but mm-hmm. she's got some pretty good movies. But uh, she's great in it. She's a good um, leading lady. She's very strong in the part. And it's all about why she's perfect for the role is because it's really kind of about trying to break her. And if you if there's one person on this planet that's not named Courtney Love or Madonna that you're not going to break, it's Shannon Doherty. <laughs> right? So, um, and I, I don't know what happens to the parrot, so you'll have to tune in for that. And I was I was surprised we could have actually themed this show around uh, sexy woodwind players who get involved in voyeuristic <laughs> relationships. I had that realized really that. Good, actually. That wow. would have been really good. We have to start mm-hmm. thinking really obtusely, I think, about these shows <laughs> yes. because I bet we can make some really crazy double features. Um, and this one might be a little crazy once we start talking about it because it's two yeah. wildly different movies. They're only themed by the fact that people peep on each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But in totally uh, different ways. The uh, Jeannie Francis movie that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, does the final showdown in that film take place outside during a rainstorm? You know what? I don't remember. Okay. Because but... I saw one that had soap stars in it, and it was the early 90s. And I remember it was really big at the time because all these soap stars were going to be in it, or at least a few of the big ones at the time. And I watched it, and all I remember is that finale. And I don't remember the name of it or anything. Ooh. I'm wondering now, so because there's a movie that came out in the 80s called, it's the late 80s though, called Haunted by Her Past, but I don't remember. It's got it's got Susan Lucci, John James, and Finola Hughes from General Hospital, and also uh, Mrs. Cotter's in it. I know I didn't say that right. I was going to say Cotter, and I couldn't get it out. Um, uh, but I don't remember Rainstorming that, and that, I think that might be too early. I don't know. I feel like there might be. What I remember most is her being in the basement and them not knowing. Mm. And, um, but I don't remember the finale as such. So I don't know. I'll have to see it again and let you know. Again, if anyone knows okay. offhand. Yes. We'll yes. get the feedback later, please. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If anybody's heard of any of these or wants to add something to this, I would love to hear um, their thoughts. Awesome. And that's it. So I guess we're going to go into the movie that started it all. 
<laughs> because I can't think of a movie that I'm sure it must have happened, but I can't think of a movie before Bad Ronald that had this kind of theme to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to meet the godfather of peeping. Nice. Tonight on the Made for TV Mayhem show. Let's do it. Somebody want to start? Oh, I thought <laughs> did, did we have a, I thought we had I thought we had a trailer. We I did, I did too. <laughs> you can tell I, we're so professional, aren't we? Okay, here we go. You guys ready? Yes, yes, yes. Say you're sorry. After an accidental murder, Ronald, a lonely and unpopular boy, takes refuge in a fantasy world. All will be for nothing if we don't heed the rules. Today I begin joining Princess Fancetta. She's the ruler of Achanta. An existence that becomes inescapable and deadly. Starring Kim Hunter, Dabney Coleman, and Scott Jacoby in a compelling thriller, Bad Ronald. That was for the VHS. because So this movie has had the good fortune of having a lot of different home video releases. Um, even though the VHS release and the DVD release, there was a huge gap. And so it became a really sought after item. But it actually did have a video release. And that was the trailer for it. All right. And uh, I'll uh, I'll begin a little breakdown here. I won't go too crazy since I'm, I'm imagining most folks have seen this. So it's October 23rd, 1974. Um it's uh, ABC, and it's the story of what is it? The Wilbies, Ronald and his mother, and um, they're a little weird. And um, uh, well, I'll, I'll try not to go into too much detail here, but it's basically it's Ronald's birthday. Um, I'm, I'm guessing I think he's like seventeen-ish or so because he's. He, I think she mentions he's a senior yes. in high school. I think he does actually say he's seventeen. And and mom mom is a little bit weird. Um, uh, there, there's a moment where she seems to get a little sick, but she doesn't seem to want assistance for it. Uh, she wants Ronald to go to medical school, return and take care of her. Which seems like that's I mean that's planning. I guess when they say you know what's your five year plan, that would be something like that. It would be yeah. like my son's going to cure my incurable whatever it is. <laughs> I'll just um, wait. And and so what happens is um. Mom's a little weird. Uh, Ronald is slightly weird, and he wants to go out and um, ask the local, like, cool girl out on a date. It's his birthday. He's feeling cool. He gets dressed up in his best clothes. He goes out, asks her out. Her and her friends laugh at him, but he doesn't seem phased. Unfortunately, he meets up with a gal named Carol who laughs at him, picks on him, insults his mother, and then (laughs) through semi no fault of his own he accidentally kills yeah, carol i have that scene here so yes. we can listen to it it's pretty good still trying to impress laurie well you should know she only likes football players and besides you're weird ronald i am not weird yes you are and so is your mother i want you to say you're sorry i want you to say you're sorry let go of me Say you're sorry. Let go of me. Dwayne's gonna get you for this. Say you're sorry. My God. Why aren't you fooling? 
sorry. I'm sorry. So what if she had just said, I'm sorry, Ronald? Yeah, I guess here's hoping that that would have wrapped it up. So really, she's just a selfish, horrible person. She had ample time to apologize. <laughs> she, she, she did. She did. Because there, that loud noise you hear, like right before the the um, uh, tense instrumental music kicks in, he like knocks over her bike, correct, and kind of like come, yeah. walks slowly towards her. You know, so he isn't. He doesn't rush her. You know, he's like, you know, just say you're sorry. Just two little words. And she's so manipulative because she really wants him to say he's sorry. So she dies. Yeah. Just uh, to get him to do it. And, you know, I, I will say that what that scene reminded me of is there's a movie I love called Don't Go in the Woods. That, that <gasps> oh, has, God, okay, I'm going to leave you guys alone in your little that, room there. Well, this is just take a moment because hearing it on <laughs> audio, I didn't realize how many times he says, I'm sorry. But it works when Ronald does it. But there's a scene in <laughs> Don't Go in the Woods where um, I think it's – what's his name? Um uh, not Craig. It's uh, Peter. Peter. Peter accidentally stabs a guy with this huge wooden spike thing. And as the guy's falling to the ground, he says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> over and over again. And it's sort of the same thing. But you see the difference between it done well and it done sublimely. You and know, you can decide which one is, is well or sublime. I wish I'd been better prepared because I would have played them back to back. Oh. So we could have <laughs> voted on it. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote for Ronald. But just real quickly, because you're talking about that, what I think is so interesting about that scene, not to get off because that was funny. Now I'm not gonna be funny because I don't have zingers. I'm sorry. But um, the part where he says, "Why aren't you fooling?" That's like something a kid says, right? And it's like moments like that in the movie that I think make Ronald so sympathetic. Because first of all, that was an accident. He didn't set out to kill somebody that day. And he was having a pretty shitty time, but he was really just going to go back to his house, right? Yeah, yeah. And just have a shitty time at home with his mom, who would tell him that she sh- he shouldn't be chasing those girls anyway, you know, whatever. And then life would have gone on. So it was just a, a pure accident that they would meet at that moment. And then that thing would happen. And when he says that, why aren't you fooling? You just feel that little boy inside him. Yeah. And, and you're you're like, God, you know, this is just that's one of those things where one moment changes everything, yeah. you know, and it's set up as an accident, too, where he's like walking through some woods and he jumps out into an alley behind some garages and just bumps into her by, yeah. accident, you know, and he's just been he's just been turned down by the gal he loves and insulted by probably one of the big football players and like a, probably a cheerleader. The guy who's like 30, but still in high school because he has that big mustache. Oh yeah. There like- is that one guy who pops up. <laughs> I thought, Oh, they're swimming with dad. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He looks like twice their age. Yeah. He's uh wow. Yeah. That's, but it's, it, it's, it is heartbreaking because you feel like he, he, he Ronald, He's not an idiot. He knows what's happening. Right. But he's, I mean, that's the face I had on most of the time when I would well, go to the gals. And, 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 but then I didn't walk into someone who would immediately insult me and right. de, de, sort of patronize me like that. And who knows? Maybe I could kill. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe this movie's about you. But I think that the, so we're only like 10 minutes in the movie, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's kind of a brilliant setup because um, that scene where he's at her house. And that's, I think that's Carol Matthews' sister, actually. Um, the uh, Or maybe it's the... Uh, I think it's his sister. Anyway. Um, it is. It said is. You, feel, you feel the uncomfortableness of it. Like, you feel like that's happened to everybody. Yeah. 
you know, and so you, you feel it. And so you actually really feel for Ronald, you know, and it, so it only takes a few minutes for you to sort of be on his corner, even after everything happens. Yeah. You know, and then mom shows up. Mom shows up. So yeah, Ronald makes it home and says, uh, mom, I killed uh, Carol Matthews and buried her body. And mom says, more or less, well, since you buried the body, there's going to be trouble. Um, we have to do something. And there's a, uh, like in their lovely uh, two-story home, there's a, there's a bathroom on the first floor. And mom realizes that they can basically enclose Ronald in the bathroom. And so they'll put a bed in there. She'll have a little hatch in like a, um, like a fruit closet, fruit, uh, like a um, storage room kind of thing that, uh, that she can hand him food. And he'll just stay in there all the time. And that's what happens. The cops show up. They're after Ronald. We don't know where Ronald rent, went. There's some misdirection, like a, like a torn shirt with blood on it and a note that says Ronald ran away. And so now the cops are gone. Um, and Ronald is basically um, stuck in this bathroom doing nothing but drawing um, pictures of an imaginary land called Atranta. 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 I, I was saying like Atlanta with an R. It's Atranta. <laughs> um, uh, it's close. At, and with his mom giving him food through this little hatch. As this one wacky neighbor, Mrs. Schumacher, Schumacher. keeps yeah. trying to peep in and see if he's still in the house because no one saw him leave. And um, uh, and there's Elmas Schumacher. And there's there's a big thing. One of Mom's big things is um, exercise. Good morning, dear. Good morning. Did you sleep well? Yeah. Get back inside. I'm all right. Forget your exercises after breakfast. If you don't keep fit, your health will deteriorate. All will be for nothing if we don't heed the rules. Today I begin drawing Princess Fancetta. She's the ruler of Atranta. She's very beautiful. Your studies are far more important than fairy tales. And by the way, he gets up to two sets of his exercises. Yes, and Mom's happy. He's getting pretty buff in that little hole. Yeah. I can't figure out, I mean, I sort of figure out what the end game is, but it's like the fact that she like basically sets it up so he looks guilty. Yeah. Seems really weird and misguided Mm -hmm. because even if he does go away, and I know in the 70s it's a lot easier to establish a new identity than it would be now. I don't understand why you would do that. You think you would want to get rid of all the evidence and then just make it like he ran away. So if something does happen. Yeah. That he's still got that, you know, reasonable doubt behind him. Because it, it is, well, I was going to say it's 74. It was a few years earlier. You could just say he became a hippie and, and went off. He's hitchhiking. Well, we're going to talk about that uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit about the novel. I and, can't wait to talk about hippies and hitchhiking. I didn't yeah, know we were going to do that. Well, the novel came out like, right in that era and it, it's a, kind of about that. Now, I didn't, I like an idiot, I didn't prepare Oh, no, that's I okay. read my review of because I wrote I've written about the novel and then I thought, oh, I'm going to read that before we start. And then I totally forgot. Um, so um, and then what happens, which is the wonderful twist, is not quite halfway into the movie. Mom goes into the hospital for an operation and she never comes back. And so we see Ronald 
leaving um, his crawl space or his his bathroom, his encased closed in bathroom, and the house is empty. The, the the house set is completely empty, and a new family moves in, and it is the Woods. And Dabney Coleman is it's the Woods, right? Yes, Dabney so. Coleman is the dad, and there's mom and their three kids. It's Babs. Babs, Althea, and Ellen, and um, it basically it becomes it become and one one thing right before everyone moves in, there is a sequence of Ronald going around the house with a um I don't even know what the heck it's called uh, the thing with the where he makes the holes in the wall. I'm not sure. Oh, a little drill, you mean? You know, like a drill kind of it was thing. It's like hand drill. Yeah, and he makes a series of little holes in in the walls throughout the place so he can spy on people. <laughs> Already so, it's falling apart. Yeah, and so this family moves in, and uh, it's it's strange at this point because it becomes a movie uh, where you see this family, and it's it's the dad seems to be at work all the time, and the mom's always getting into the middle of the three gals as they're fighting, and the three gals are always fighting, and Babs is really loud, and someone's reading their diary, and their uh, one of the gals starts going out with Carol Matthews's brother, and it's funny because Ronald. Whenever you see Ronald peeping at them for the first few scenes, it looks like he's looking in on an episode of like Family or Eight is Enough or something like that. You know, it looks like he's looking in on a family. I don't know that possibly he may have wanted to have at one time. Yeah, they are very normal. Uh, they're, yeah, and they're the, totally not like uh, what and, his life was like. Not that his and, life was horrible, mm-mm. but I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. It was dysfunctional for sure. And and what happens as the movie draws towards the end is he is uh, drawn to um, Babs, and he begins to draw his fictional land. Uh, I'm going to call it Atlanta with an R again. Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Atlanta. I don't know why I can't say it right now. Um, uh, he begins to draw like he becomes the prince. Babs becomes the princess, and there's like an evil someone or other who is yeah Prince um, Norbert. Uh, uh, Dwayne, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, Carol he's Matthews. The, he's the brother, or maybe yeah. he's Prince Norbert. I can't, he's Prince oh, Norbert, I right? I thought Ronald was Prince Norbert. Yes, and then yes. the other guy is the Duke of something, right? Duke of Stinkers or something like that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a real jackass. And um, yeah, and so it kind of builds and builds, and things don't go well for Ronald um, as the movie goes along. And um, I'm sure we'll talk more about what happens in the end, but that's sort of it. Kind of builds up, and he becomes obsessed with Babs. And it's, um, yeah, it starts to go a little crazy. And um, it's... Uh, oh, there, I have one more soundbite, don't I? Oh, yes, you do, because he eventually confronts Babs. And um, and and keep in mind, when you're watching the scene, Babs is... I don't know, how old is Babs? She like, she's like 13, I think. 13. And she's come, she's come coming home from tennis. And she looks... She's she's a real cutie. And then Arnold, uh, Arnold uh, Ronald shows up. And, you know, Ronald doesn't have, I guess he doesn't have the running water in the bathroom anymore because he's filthy. And um, I think he does have the running water. I just don't think he gives a shit. Oh, okay. I I was unsure. I feel like, I feel like there's just a point where he stops Mm. being like the, the Ronald he used to be. And it just is like, it's, it's like, well, we'll talk a little bit about that. Mm. uh, The rat in the cage. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's basically what he's transforming into. So, anyway, this is the confrontation scene. If my father catches you, he'll... He won't be home till Sunday night. Uh... How did you know? I'm Prince Norbert, ruler of Atlanta. I know everything. 
You did that? Why? To please a princess. Trent is a beautiful place. You see, Princess Vansetta falls in love with Prince Norbert. Norbert's a fugitive from the land of tyrants. I said my name is Norbert. Now your family's been spending too much time with the evil Duke. I want you to come with me. That would pretty much be my reaction right there. Oh, my God. Is Atranta in a filthy basement? Where is it meant to be? Where is the... Uh... Uh, it's in his head. I think he's, I think it's his bedroom or that room he lives in because he's painted all of those sets. And okay. I think that's where he wants to take her, but she's quicker than he is. Yeah. He Can I... I just want to read... Uh, Amanda sent me some notes about the soundbite she had. And he, this one, she, it says, Ronald tells Babs about Princess Vansetta and Prince Norbert, and then in parentheses with an exclamation point, perv. So. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, so it's going to be, it's going to turn ugly if he catches her. Yeah, yeah. They, um, and yeah, things. Um, you actually forgot to mention Mrs. Schumacher's death. I, I, I was debating because I actually just, I've got it playing on the TV next to me and I just saw her die. Um, oh, that gives it away. She, yeah. Well, you just said it. She, well, yeah. this movie's forty-one years old, so I feel so, like I feel like spoilers are kind of come with we'll, the territory. We'll we'll rush. We'll go to the end then. Um, at one point, when um, Ronald comes out of the crawl space to get some food when no one's home, uh, Mrs. Schumacher, who's been randomly peeping in, <laughs> sees him and basically falls down the steps and dies. So he drags her in a basement, throws her in the basement, and um, that's what you get when you peep. You know what's interesting is like nobody asked about Mrs. Schumacher because she was gone for a That's little while. True, yeah, yeah. And and nobody's there's no neighbors. Or, hey, have you seen Mrs. Schumacher? And it just occurred to me when you were talking that I never ever thought to correlate what she's doing with what Ronald's doing. I was I just thought that myself. Yeah, it's like if the voyeurs they're they get in trouble. Some two peepers right yeah. there next door to each other. They should go out and party. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> The, so uh, uh, Ronald catches Babs, um, uh, throws – does he throw her in the basement too, I believe? He or? throws her underneath the house and I think she's at Mrs. Schumacher's. I think he locks okay. her in the basement there. Okay. And um, uh, and then he basically goes back in the house and the two sisters along with Dwayne call the police and the police – but the police can't do anything. But then um, when the gals go out because their parents are gone – um, Dabney Coleman is probably off shooting something hilarious like Modern Problems or something. Oh no, this is this was the early seventies. He was doing uh, a Columbo. He was doing a Columbo or something like that. Um, um, uh, he uh, and basically, um, Ronald beats the crap out of Dwayne and ties him up and hides him in his bathroom bedroom home. Uh, and then eventually, what happens is there's sort of the the iconic moment when the Two two sisters come back into the house, and are sort of standing around, kind of look, looking around a bit. And all of a sudden, uh, a little beam of light—they're in the dark. A little beam of light falls on one of the sisters' faces, 
And then she she turns and spots one of the holes in the wall. And Ronald's eyes appears in the hole. Ronald bursts through the wall. And it kind of becomes a little sad for Ronald after that. <laughs> I think it was sad for Ronald through 90% of this movie. Yes, I think I think he maybe had five minutes in the beginning where he was okay. But uh, but they, they don't give him much much to sort of go for there, I think. No, it's a sad little movie. But the, yeah, that that's the basic gist of it. I didn't want to go too detailed because I imagine lots of folks have seen this. So. Yeah, it's a classic. It's it's a bona fide. Um, it's a movie people keep coming to, and I think that even new viewers tend to get something out of it because it's really like without really being overtly violent, and obviously there's no nudity or anything like that. It's really grindhousey in a way, yeah. and I don't know if it's because of the look of the print that like even Warner archives has, I mean, it's pretty washed out. They didn't do much with it. Um, and that's fine. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but, um, it's, it's got a quality to it that, uh, I, I won't say it looks like a theatrical film cause it doesn't, it's very static the way it's shot. It's very economical, but it's got a really dirty, dark feeling to it that very few TV yes. movies have been able to approach. And, um, and yet, it it also has a really sympathetic character yeah who does horrible things and so i so something about it that translates to people and i don't know exactly what it is but um it sticks with people who who obviously saw it when it first came out and i if i'm correct it seems people who watch it now seem to kind of enjoy it so it's it's lasted yeah i agree <laughs> pardon me i th- i think the the thing that the um the sort of the, the the moment that always gets me is during the bit when um, uh, Ronald catches Babs and puts his dirty hand over her oh, mouth, yeah, and she's like this lily white, you know, clean gal, and there's this filthy guy, and then he takes his hand away, and there's dirt all over her her face from yes. where his hand was, and it's just like, oh gosh, okay, Ronald, if the water is running in there, maybe maybe just pat off some <laughs> just parts, just a little bit, just yeah, a little bit, just, Ronald. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly where he dissociates himself, but I wrote an article. So bad Ronald turned 41 uh, this year, last year when he turned 40 kinder drama and I did a little tribute to the movie. And um, I wrote a little bit about dissociations, but I don't know exactly where the breaking point is or if it was always there. I can't remember now, but so like, you know, it's a really interesting. So when he's, when he's painting princess Vansetta, it looks like Babs, right? And matter of fact, it almost disturbingly looks like Babs because the rest of it kind of looks really cartoony, but mm-hmm. the face looks a lot more realistic. And then when he paints Prince Norbert, he doesn't look at all like the prince. So the way he sees himself is not the way he is at all. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't associate himself in that body, in that life. I just think that that's really interesting. And plus the face is blank through most of it. Like he really doesn't fill in his face till way later. You know, yeah, yeah. and and I think that that's kind of how he feels a lot through at least the first half of the movie. But he starts to like lose it pretty quickly because uh, when I talked about the rat in the cage, I also sort of tracked those rat like movements that he does. And so, you know, when he comes home after he's killed Carol, he's chewing on an apple and he's nibbling on it like the rat would nibble on an apple. And and then it just it progressively like it will maintains itself, but you really get this rat in a cage feel Mm -hmm. after a while. Like the way he eats the chocolate and everything. Yeah, yeah. When the cops are there, he nibbles on a chocolate bar. Yeah. And And I thought at first he was doing that maybe to um since he was he knew he was going to be locked away in dental 
things might be a problem. Maybe he was just taking little bites so he could like swallow them to sort of bypass his teeth so he didn't have to sugar up his teeth or something. Wow. I don't know. That was deep. That well, that's what I thought when I watched it. I thought, well, maybe he's doing that. You know, that's, that's what I think. I that's think interactive. I, I'm not going to be able to go every six months anymore because I'm a fugitive <laughs> from the law. That's the first thing you thought of was his <laughs> yeah. mental care. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so now, Nate, Nate, oh, Nate was this the first time you saw this, or no? I had seen. It. I actually had watched it for the very first time with Grant Grant. Oh, wonderful! You might know from how is how is Grant Grant's child? May I ask? Uh, very good. He said that instead of only getting three hours of sleep a, a night, he's now getting five. Okay. <laughs> so he's his mood has improved. He was in a Yay. bad mood for a while, but understandably so. <laughs> did Grant Grant like it? I guess that's what the everyone wants to know. He did not. <gasps> Isn't what? that shocking? What banned? I know. Wow. I said you'll never come on Made for TV Mayhem with that <laughs> attitude. <laughs> He cried. Oh, he was very upset. <laughs> oh, but he did love Don't Go to Sleep, so there oh, is some good. hope. Classic, classic, okay. Classic so, okay, okay. But what did you think, Nate? Oh, I really liked Bad Ronald. I felt, um, I actually felt it was more tragedy than horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I just thought it was very sad. It's, it's sort of the way I would think about, you know, the movie Carrie. Um, where I think it's more of a tragedy than, I guess, a horror film. And I think that, you know, I mean, um, there's a lot of sympathy for, like, uh, Ronald, just like there was for Carrie, even though they both do some things that are pretty bad. Yeah, I would say, though, the way... I guess Carrie... I guess they're both sort of pushed to it, and they don't intend to do it, but Carrie's is really spectacular. Oh, yes. Yeah, she gets <laughs> split screen and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more grandiose. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and and every and every time I watch it, it moves towards the end. I wish that there would be another way out where they could find sure. a magical way to not have what happens to them happen. Yeah, I think I think what Carrie does, though, is um, that you're with her for so long before the mayhem hits that it's it's almost Unco- not, it's uncomfortable but it's like it's almost hard to watch at some point especially when she gets to the prom and they're dancing you know under the stars and she's asking yes. Tommy why he brought her to the dance and you spend so much time with her that like you know something you know it's gonna, all going to just go to hell but like there are certain moments where I can't I almost want to get out of my seat and just walk away and Belle Ronald doesn't give you that of course it's only a 74 minute movie and it wouldn't play out right if they did it. But um, but I like the correlation between those two. I never really thought about it, and I think yeah. you're right. Uh, I also had to say, I wonder if Mrs. Schumacher knew that she had a bad heart, because if she did, why would she go snooping around? Yeah. She could that's... be scared. Let's see. Like she probably she probably had like nitro pills in her pocket, and she didn't think she was going to fall backwards off the stairs or something like that, you know? In her little yeah. culottes and her smart hat. <laughs> it's, like, it's like she probably thought, like, like one day I'll really see something when I go look. I never see anything. And then well, the thing she saw was too much for And her. she's persistent because even when the new family moves in, she still keeps – she wants to know what they're doing. Yeah. And where did Mr. Schumacher go? Probably took off a long time ago. I took off with Mr. Wilby. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I had thought of that. Yeah, that's that's. I, I They're probably sitting at a bar somewhere, high fiving each other. <laughs> we, we missed that train wreck. Uh. 
so much happens. Uh-huh. So this uh, this movie is based on a book by John Holbrook Vance called Bad Ronald. And um, it was really hard to find for a long time because it only had one printing. And uh, it was super rare. And it was selling for a couple hundred dollars on Amazon. But it's now available on Kindle for $6. Um, somebody got the electronic rights to it. Mm. And um, my husband actually bought me a Kindle and the book because it was cheaper to buy those than to buy the printing of the book. So for Christmas, a couple Christmases ago, he gave it to me and um, everybody should read it. I read it in one sitting, not one sitting, but you can't read in one sitting. I read it in like two sittings. It's really easy to read. It's super dark though. And I'll tell you, it's a lot different than the movie. And now that I've read the book, I find that I don't understand how anybody thought this would make a good TV movie because so he's not just an accidental killer. He's a rapist and he's gross He's uh, he's described much differently than the actor that played him. He's like this lumbering kind of really creepy guy and he's horrifying and and more than one person dies. That family really pays the price for moving into that house. It's just really weird to think, hey, we should make this into a TV movie. But they did a really good job adapting it. Um, the guy who adapted it, I wrote his name down. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Andrew Peter Martin. This was his first teleplay. Um, I don't know. Um, how he did it but he managed to pull so he's not sympathetic at all in the book so I don't know who made that decision I don't know who got the rights to it like if it was like a network or Lorem I think Lorimar produced it if that was the thing or if, or if Andrew Peter Martin just got the rights to it and did it on his own I don't really know how there's not a huge amount of information about the production of the film but I can say that they really flip the script on it in a lot of ways. Uh, I I don't want to say it's better than the book, but I think whereas the movie has a lot of rewatchability to it, I don't know that you can read the book over and over again because it is so much darker and it's brutal. It is brutal. It's almost jaw-dropping if you've seen the movie first to read the book. It's it's like two different things. But I do think everybody should check it out because the source material is excellent. And the guy who wrote it... Uh, he, I think he might have written it, either he normally writes under Jack Vance, or he wrote this under Jack Vance, but he's normally a fantasy author, and so I think it's really interesting the way he made this sort of thriller, uh, but he took those fantasy elements that he was so comfortable with, and he, and he wove it really well into Ronald's character with Atranta. And so that's, uh, and I, I feel like the book, I don't, I don't remember as much about Atranta in the book. I feel like it might go a little bit more into depth about his fantasy land uh, that he concocts. And so um, I just wanted to mention that because I think uh, now that the book's accessible, everybody should probably pick up a copy. Yeah, I had no idea it was on Kindle. I have to. Uh, yeah, I was really I'll surprised. Pick it up, I'll pick it up right now. Um, bye-bye, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I got to start reading it. I'm back. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, but it's surprisingly different. So, Nate, did you ever read the book? No, I haven't. I would, though. Well, I think now's your chance. Can I uh, mention a, a movie that sure. Bad Ronald – well, it came out years after Bad Ronald. But it was um, – first time I saw Bad Ronald was on the VHS maybe 10 years ago. And in between then and researching it and watching it again now, I watched a film from 1991 – I believe made in Bowling Green, Kentucky called Haunted Ween. It's a slasher film. Okay. And it's, have you guys seen it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Haunted Ween begins with a slightly creepy guy, a kid 
who um, is uh, taking like money from people as they drive into like a haunted house in like the middle of the countryside. And he kind of he's reading like a monster magazine and all these people are going in. And then a car goes in with like a mom and a girl his age and she gives him a big smile and go they go in. And then the last car for the night goes in. And so he uh, decides he doesn't want to hang out. Uh, by the entrance anymore and he goes inside the house and it turns out when he goes inside the house that he's a little nuts and this is the first 10 minutes of the movie so if you're if you're hunting down haunted ween this isn't gonna this isn't gonna ruin much for you and he ends up running into the girl who's lost and he kind of motions that he'll get her out of there but he ends up chasing her around and acting crazy and she ends up getting impaled and then i believe he cuts her head off it's just and- like that ronald well, then what happens is his mom finds him and says, oh, boy, we've got to get out of here. And so it's a, it's a bad Ronald variation where for the next 10 years, he and his mom are living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And then one day his mom dies and he decides to go back to the, I guess, the frat house that threw the haunted house party and punish them. Because it's and- their fault. Yeah, it's he's well, he's crazy, <laughs> and there, there's just basically there's a scene like where they go into the the ha- the haunted house where he used to live or something or other, and he's got all these little tunnels and crawl spaces that he goes through, and like the big thing is the this fraternity sets up this haunted house, but he because he knows the house better is able to set up within the house like a torture room where he is able to lead people into, and he begins he tortures members of the fraternity in front of crowds of people and stuff like that and it's funny because as i was watching bad ronald i thought i wonder if the haunted ween folks saw bad ronald you know apart from a horrible name for a movie haunted ween isn't bad and it's it's a it's a it's a it's a variation on the voyeuristic theme but on the theme of the young man accidentally killing someone and having a slightly crazy right that's interesting yeah just a side so you know bad ronald has had different nods um through the years um but the one that stands out to me I think it's called Bad Amanda, which is so perfect. It's an episode of Ugly Betty. It's an episode of Ugly Betty. And I actually haven't seen it, but I think it's on Hulu. And it's supposed to be like a a reference to Bad Ronald. I think it's a tribute to it. So I'm just saying. Um, And it was actually also remade in 19. So the the rights to Bad Ronald, I think, are really hazy. I don't know enough about him, but I actually knew somebody who had a friend who was trying to get the rights to it so he could remake it there was some kind of issue with that and they were never able to do it. But in the nineties, somebody in France remade bad Ronald with and Jerry Lewis, not, not with Jerry Lewis huh. with a bunch of French people I never heard of. And I don't know anything about it, but it does exist and I would love to see it. I just never have. I've never even heard of that. Wow. I wish I could tell you what the French title was, but I, I, I didn't write it down and I don't know. Or if I did, I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it. You know, and I think one, France, France is having enough problems. They don't need to need to. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, <laughs> they don't need um, to deal with me. Uh, you, you know, one thing I noticed because, and this is a, a slight tangent, but when the family shows up, when the woods show up, and Ronald is watching them, and it almost becomes a different movie for about fifteen minutes or so. Right. I realized, having recently watched the first season of Eight Is Enough, how you can put a laugh track on almost anything <laughs> and convince. <laughs> That they're watching comedy because I, as I was watching it, I thought, well, this is sort of like a uh, family or something like that. Right. Then I thought, but if they put a laugh track on this, it would be like eight is enough. And I thought it's 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 weird. I, I um I'd love to see someone put a laugh track on the second half of Bad Ronald. Why not? <laughs> 
Why not? Why not? And I, oh, one more thing. Kim Hunter. Oh, yes. Who plays Ronald's mom. I always find to be a very strange actress. Oh, I love her. She yeah, Have you seen The Magician? The pilot I've movie? I've seen The Magician, for, not The Pilot, but I've seen some of the series. The The pilot movie for The Magician, she plays a very worried mother who Bill Bixby's magician character helps out. And uh-huh. she seems to be like, I don't know what it is she's meant to be on, but she looks like she's high or something throughout the whole thing. She has thing. an interesting kind of like, kind of wounded bird almost. Yes. Uh, persona. She was. Uh, she's really good in an episode of Columbo. I think she's in suitable for framing with Ross Martin. Oh, she plays the um the aunt, Ross Martin's aunt. Yeah, and she frame. has this yeah, very great, like yeah. dippy, sweet persona that Columbo I think is really charmed by. But it feels yes. like it feels so much like that might really be Kim Hunter. It could be. Yeah, I guess what she was one of the apes in Planet of the Apes. Right? Yeah, she's she's one of the stars of that series. Yeah. She's great in that too. Yeah, yeah. And that's whenever I see her, I never know if I'm going to get like yeah, the Columbo Kim Hunter or the magician <laughs> Kim Hunter where I I worry about her. She had a very likable persona um yeah. in everything. There's just something really attractive about her. Maybe in She's not really like Julie Harris, but there's something about her that makes me think that they would have been good in a movie together. I would have watched that. I would have watched it, too. I think that maybe they did make a movie. We just don't know. By the way, uh, Kim Hunter was also in an Ellery Queen episode called Too Many Suspects. Oh, yes. She, yeah, she, she is. She is married to Ray Milan's character. <gasps> who was accused of. I uh... want to be married to Ray Milan's character. <laughs> Where do you get in line for that? <laughs> he's uh, he's great. That's the uh, that's the TV movie that kicks off Ellery Queen. It's a lot oh, of fun. She plays cool. the uh, yeah. She that's actually based very closely on an Ellery Queen novel. Oh, cool. Yeah, I recommend. I always recommend the Ellery Queen series, but I will again for the fifth time <laughs> in five episodes. And may I say real quick one thing? Babs, she's on my TV right now with her dirty face after Ronald puts his hand uh. over her mouth, and he's hung. Um, he hangs the He's uh, hung? prince. <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's another. That Ronald. ain't bad, Ronald. That ain't the title. That ain't He's the title. Bad, anymore. bad, Ronald. Bad, Ron. Princess Vansetta's uh, picture. He's hung up in her bedroom, and yes. uh, it's it's a little uh, it's a little creepy. But um, Babs is great. The actress who plays Babs is fine, except when she has to do a phone conversation, oh. and there's no one there but her. Hi. Then she. Then okay. she. Okay, you and Dad go away and have a good time, and uh, we'll see you soon, okay? It's Don't like, worry, oh, Mom. We'll be wow, fine. Babs. Wow, so Babs. that's Cindy Fisher, and she's in that movie that you always like to talk about, Intimate Agony. Yes. And she is... Which I haven't ma- actually seen. Oh, it's it's streaming on Amazon Prime for free, I'm pretty sure. It was anyway, recently. It's a good movie. It's also on DVD, pretty cheap. She's married to Doug Davidson, who plays Paul on Young and the Restless. And I think she's pretty much dropped out of acting, but because I'm obsessed with soap operas and I get all the soap opera magazines, she pops up from time to time with her husband at events. Uh-huh. And they're adorable. And they've been together oh. for like forever. She's a really good actress. I think she quit a long time ago. They have a few kids, so I don't know if she just decided to stay at home or if, uh, you know, or she just got a different kind of job. I don't really know her background, but I think her last screen role was in A Murder, She Wrote, 1987. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she's quite lovely. And so Cindy Eilbacher and Lisa oh, Eilbacher. Holy, oh, my gosh. I, is that This House Possessed? Is one of those? Yeah, yeah. And then the other girl is her real-life sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. For a second, I thought she was Jamie Smith Jackson. I think that's the actress's name, who was in Alice. Uh, Go Ask Alice. But it's not. Okay. It's her sister. L- Linda Pearl is in this? No. 
I'm looking in the Merrill book, and it says Lori Matthews is Linda Pearl. Oh, I guess it could be. She would be the girl in the pool, right? Yes, one of the girls in the pool. I can't imagine that would get a credit, but... And the... I wish they had a credit for that really old guy who was in the pool, like Grandpa. Or <laughs> Grandpa God. Matthews was in the pool. Grandpa yeah, Matthews. Look up that credit. Hey, kids. There's Ronald. <laughs> Tear him a new one. <laughs> I'll be over here in my flannel and my cane. Okay, so here's here's just a little background on Bad Ronald. So it originally aired on October 23rd, 1974 at 8.30 p.m. Uh, on ABC. It was a ABC Movie of the Week. It aired right after an episode of That's My Mama. So anybody who tuned into ABC that night, if you're listening, I would love to hear what it was like to be watching That's My Mama and then go into Bad Ronald because that mm-hmm. must have been kind of a mind fuck. That's My Mama Rules. Oh, such a good show. Such yeah, we have it. Show. We have it on DVD. It's so good. I'm a big Clifton Davis fan. Oh, sure. And not because he's the hottest guy I've ever seen. <laughs> so it ran against uh, on CBS something called Sons and Daughters, which I think starred Gary Frank and I think was like a soap opera-y kind of TV series. But I'm not positive because I've never seen it and it was really short-lived. And then uh, the other show on that channel it ran against was Canon. Oh. And on NBC, it ran against Little House on the Prairie and a TV series called Lucas Tanner that I also don't know that much about, uh-huh. unfortunately. So this was directed by Buzz Kulik, who is probably best known to people in TV land for directing Brian's Song, which is really interesting because that's a pretty wide range there, two movies. Um, he's listed on IMDb as an unlisted director on Crawl Space, and apparently he was let go partway into production. I don't know when that happened. I don't know how much of Crawl Space he actually worked on. But um, we discussed that during our Crawl Space episode, uh, and I think we said the exact same thing then. We don't know when it happened, but there's your little piece of trivia about that. The uh, So, you know, the artwork you see in the room that Ronald lives in was actually done by uh, Laura Mars production employee. Uh, he was an art director named Ed Graves. He is credited on Bad Ronald as the production designer, and he also was the production designer on Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, So, which I think is interesting. Philip Capice was the producer of Bad Ronald, or at least he ran Lorimar Productions, and he would go on right to do Dallas. So I just mentioned that because I love Dallas, and I think that's Of course, of course. Yeah. And in a promotional interview uh, for the movie, Jacoby, who was 17 at the time, said, I guess I've played a lot of kids with problems, emotional problems, mental problems, even physical problems. This latest guy kills people. It's a good role. Downhill all the way. It's an excellent role based on the deterioration of a character. The, strip, the script was great, and the director was one of the best. And also, Jacoby um, studied psychology as a way to understand the characters he plays. And actually, this movie screened here in Austin in 2013, but I wasn't here then, so I didn't see it. And just, we should probably talk about Scott Jacoby a little bit. Yeah, I don't know much about him. I, I meant to. Well, he was a child actor, and you know, he's got two brothers that are pretty famous uh, Bobby and Billy Jacoby. Bobby was in Tremors. That's what I know him best from. And oh. Billy was in Just One of the Guys and a bunch of other stuff in the mm-hmm. 80s. Billy now goes by Billy Jane, which I think is his actual real last name. And he's a director. And I think Bobby also goes by Jane now. So it's Bobby Jane. And I think he's still acting. Um, Scott, But Scott is the guy who kind of laid down the groundwork for them. Um, he started acting when he was really young. He did a lot of really dark roles, uh, not just Bad Ronald. Um, he was in a movie called Rivals. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that with Joan Hackett. Where that sounds familiar. It's kind of Bad Ronald-esque in that he's really attached to his mom, but she meets a guy and they start dating and the movie's called Rivals because they're both kind of rivaling for her affection, but then it turns really dark and really violent. Um, it's a pretty cool movie, and if you like Joan Hackett, it's something you should probably check out. Um, and we all like Joan Hackett. He was also in that certain summer 
which he won an Emmy for, uh, which is, if you guys haven't seen that, it's a Levinson Link oh. production. And it's about um, a young boy who finds out that his father's gay. And uh, Martin Sheen and Hal Holbrook play the two lovers. And um, it was groundbreaking. It's an excellent film. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's probably fairly realistic to what was going on at the time. It had a little bit of controversy when it came out because of the subject matter. But Scott Jacoby, was, he'll break your heart in it. He was also in another movie that isn't at all like Bad Ronald, but it reminds me of Bad Ronald because of the character he plays. And that's Smash Up on Interstate 5, which oh, is yeah. also streaming on Amazon um, for free if you have a Prime account. It's excellent. It's it's he's only in parts of it. It's about how it starts out with this major car accident and it's and then the movie goes back like 48 hours. And then you see how everybody ends up at the freeway at that moment, that fateful moment that uh, everybody kind of some die, some live. And so it, it kind of intertwines all these different various people in their lives. But you see where they were right before. And he's like a hoodlum in it. And um, he's got kind of a bad Ronald vibe to him. I don't remember the character well enough now to necessarily speak to it. But I remember when I watched it at the time, I was thinking that it was like, a, like if he played bad Ronald, he could have... Uh, in this film, he could have approached it this way, you know. So it was just really interesting. He was also Dorothy's son on Golden Girls. He's one of the only actors, I think, that was consistently... So, like, you know, they all had kids on the Golden Girls, but they often were played by different actors through the years. And I think that Scott Jacoby might be the only one who was consistently Dorothy's son in that character wow. the whole run of the series. Wow. Um, then he was in the To Die For movies. Do you remember the To Die For movies about the Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's in those. He was in Return to Horror High. He was in the Supernaturals. Um, he did a lot of horror movies. And then um, after 1991, he kind of retired from acting. I don't know what he does now. He did direct something in the early 2000s or late 90s. I think it was a movie about grunge rock. I think it was like a documentary. Mm. But he, I know now he's some kind of like martial arts guy. And he does like. I think he's a black belt or something. Every so often you'll catch a video of him or a photo at a competition and he looks great. Um, he looks really happy. He seems to be doing well. He's been married to the same woman since like 1985. And if I'm correct, he recently became a grandfather. That's not too stalkery, right? Um, <laughs> but yes, I looked around. Yes. And he, so he's almost 60 now. Wow. And doesn't that blow your mind? Yeah. Wow. And a grandfather. So he could be that guy in the pool. He could be. He's ready for that part. He's that age. <laughs> but so anyway, so he, he went away, but he's still around and um, his brothers are still active as well. And uh, as far as I can tell, the whole family's doing really well. And weird piece of trivia, but a friend of mine in L.A. used to know the Jacobis really well. Um, he's lost touch with them, but he actually used to play soccer with them. So I think the brothers were actually really close because wow. I think they all played like weekly soccer games with my friend and some other people for a while. That's cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, yeah. That's all. I'm glad he's out there. I would have loved if he was a black. Could you imagine the ending of Bad Ronald when he, <laughs> when he goes down the steps and the cops rush him if he uses black belt skills? And then oh there'd my. be a Bad Ronald too. Oh, my God. Could you imagine that? Just the final huge kung fu fight and he could have got out of there and it would have been like the end with a question mark. Oh, that would have been so good. Can we go back in time and do that? I'm sure oh. the movie would have held up really well if we did that ending. Yeah, that Mrs. Been... Schumacher could have been his trainer. <laughs> <laughs> the sensei? Oh, the sensei Schumacher. He would have been like a Karate Kid before Karate Kid, <laughs> but with an old white woman. 
That would have been, you would have seen Mrs. Schumacher with all sorts of equipment going in through the little crawl space entrance underneath all the canned goods. Stealthy. It's it's like, who is that old woman I saw with all that karate equipment? I don't know. Uh, That's my Dabney Coleman. That doesn't sound like him at all. I don't know. It's hard to do a Dabney Coleman unless you're really cynical and hate life. Because I keep doing a Martin Mull by mistake. (laughs) Yeah, they're a little different. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's so funny to see Dabney Coleman not be an asshole. Yeah. Am I the only one who feels that way? <laughs> Just be a dad. <laughs> I mean, he's great. I love Dabney Coleman, but I mean, like, he, I'm so used to him playing really dry, sarcastic yeah. characters that when he's not dry, because he's also in a movie, he's only in the beginning and end um, called Dying Room Only. Have you guys seen that? Oh. Yes, with Cloris Leachman. Yes. And he's, he's like a nice guy in that. And then he disappears, and it's really Cloris Leachman's movie. And speaking of Ross Martin, Ross Martin plays a bad guy in it. Uh, so good. Do you like that movie, Nate? Yes, it's really good. I love it. I love it. But anyway, Dabney Coleman's kind of bookends the movie, and, and he's a nice guy. And you kind of have to do a double take because – and I think they can only have him in a couple minutes at a time because you can't take it when he's nice. <laughs> what was the show, the dramedy he was in, Buffalo Bill, was that? I feel like Buffalo Bill was the comedy, and then Slap Maxwell was the dramedy. Okay. But I could All be right. wrong about that because it's been a while since I've seen either one of them. Because I remember, I remember being like 15 and they introduced the term dramedy to television, like in 1987 or 88 with Molly Dodd and yeah. Hooper Man with John Ritter. Confession, and, uh, not a Molly Dodd fan. Uh, well, I, um, I watch a few episodes. Um, well, I couldn't understand what a dramedy was as far as <laughs> I was concerned. In American television, you were either funny or dramatic or exciting. Right. If I wanted a mix of all three, I'd watch the British stuff on PBS because they used to mix it up. But right. at that time, it was confusing. I guess Frank's Place would have followed on that, right? Was, would you say that <laughs> oh, yes, was a dramedy? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty good show. That was but a dramedy also, yeah. That's funny. I didn't know that that's when that word kind of emerged. It was whenever Molly Dodd showed up, it was a dramedy. Because <sighs> that was when there was a two or three year period when I got TV Guide every week and I used to sit down when I'd get it and I would take notes and I would highlight things and I would say, must watch this. And I don't. I don't want to veer off Bad Ronald too much, but can we just talk about Blair Brown for a minute? Sure. So, sure, sure. So she, that was my, and this is actually pro Blair Brown. I can't even say her name. Pro Blair Brown. But so when that show came out, and I don't remember it well enough to tell you why I disliked it, maybe because it was a dramedy and I'm like you and I was expecting like a comedy or a drama, but I, I did watch Superman and I liked that and I did like Frank's Place, but I just, I don't even remember what the show was about, to be honest with you, but I just hated it, and it made me hate Blair Brown. So I realize sometimes I go through life hating actors, and I can't figure out why, and then I'll remember I saw them in something, and I just hated them, and for some reason it stuck with me. But she did a movie called Those Secrets, which used to be on Netflix, and it's really a shame that it's not on there anymore. It might be on Amazon. It's the weirdest movie I've ever seen and she stars in it and it's about a woman who used to be a call girl and she gets married she leaves the life and she gets married and I think her husband cheats on her and it starts this sort of downward spiral where she goes back into the business and it is dark it is dark and like there's a scene where she goes these this old couple calls her and they want to like tie her up and do stuff to her and one of them is in a wheelchair and on oxygen and they st- and this was a network tv movie and they start talking about S&M and she's like you huh. know what keep your 100 dollars i'm going home wow. and but it's and it was more than 100 i mean she was a pretty high price call girl and it's just like the darkest thing i'd ever seen and I, and there's 
it's interesting because her daughter is named Molly. And I didn't know if that was like a reference to the show. And uh. when she talks to her daughter, it's like she's actually talking to the younger version of herself. It's all metaphors, the movie. I mean, it's nothing but metaphors. It's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But it made me like reappraise my feelings of Blair Brown. Huh. And I, because I also had a Kate Mulgrew thing. Like I hated Kate Mulgrew. <laughs> I, I hated her because I still have trouble with Kate Mulgrew. Well, she's yeah. in this movie called Daniel. See, we're going to go totally off on a tangent. Oh, because it's she made this movie called Daddy. It's a Daniel Steele adaptation. It's my favorite Daniel Steele. Well, it's one of my favorites. I, I, I facilitate between a couple of them because they're so good. But anyway, she plays this woman who's married to Patrick Duffy. And then she's like, I want to go back to school. But for me to go back to school, I have to live on campus at a college that's like a state away from you. And so he's like, really? Because we have like teenagers in our house. And she's like, yes. And then, of course, she goes to college. And what does she do? She starts like sleeping with her professor or something. So he comes to visit her. And she's like, I'm totally seeing this guy. And you you understand. I just didn't get to live the life I wanted to. So here, go take care of our three kids. You don't do that to the duff. Yes. And so but he ends up with Linda Carter. So it's okay. Oh, but wow. She was so good in that movie. Of <laughs> Did you make this? Was this a, is this a dream movie that you made up in your mind? Or is no, this, this really happened. Movie? Oh, okay. This really happened. And, and so anyway, she's so despicable in the movie, but she's so good in the part that whenever I saw her in anything, I was like, oh, that came all grew. I'm going to end her. But then I saw in the 70s, she did a movie called Alien Lover. It's a wide world mystery movie. And it's so good. And oh. so I thought to myself, I have to give Kate Mulgrew a break. I Plus, like, I like Mrs. Columbo. I like her and Remo Williams, The Adventure. Oh, I've never seen that. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. She, you sure a, that's not Bonnie Bedelia? No, that's Kate Mulgrew <laughs> with Fred Ward and uh, Joe. Yeah, no, I'm kidding because they're kind of similar. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, Bad Ronald is a great movie. No, what were – How did we get <laughs> yeah, Sorry. That went way so, – I will say, and I will, I will put my here is my judge's gavel down on dramedies. The problem with dramedies is that the same time that they were pitching dramedies was when Moonlighting was at its like best. So you, if you were watching Moonlighting, you were watching a show that was dramatic. It had mystery. It could sometimes be scary, and it could sometimes it was the most silly show on television since Green Acres. But what did they call it? Did they call it a dramedy or did they just call it Moonlighting? No, Mo- Moonlighting was just – it was an hour-long show. I don't think right. they called hour-long shows anything back then. They were just what they were, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, But uh, but I that was – and let's let's head back to Bad Ronald because I think – how are we doing on Bad Ronald? Well, I, I think we're getting ready to put him back in his room. I think we are. We gotta, I got him some powdered milk. Oh, I remember when he drinks it and he's like, uh, oh, this stinks. Oh, God. You know, and it's like, I think because it was like that powdered milk that was meant to be like, this has all the vitamins and everything that you need. And I thought, no, Ronald needs more than that. He needs his exercises. He needs his exercises. Yeah, he stopped doing his exercises. And I will say, be, right before we end with Bad Ronald, I don't fully understand when the one sister sees his eyeball looking through the peephole. She sees it. She screams. The other sister runs in, and then Ronald bursts through the wall right? in slow motion. But it looks like he's falling through the wall, like someone pushed him. And I've never fully figured out what's – that's what I always thought. It looks like someone – it, it it seems like another movie, like a horror movie or a slasher movie that I've seen where someone comes through a wall or something. It, it uh, kind of doesn't make sense in a way because I don't know why he would – Jeopardize it like, yeah. like, like that because like, they can't get in there yet. So well, he, they were at the 72-minute mark. 
Oh, that's that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the problem. But yeah, you're right. It is kind of an interesting scene because it doesn't seem like it just it seems even out of character, not even so much even how he goes through the wall, but just the fact that it happens is kind of a little bit misplaced. But they had to wrap it up. I guess so. That's not how the book ends, by the way. Yeah. At all. That that's the one moment in the movie where I go, huh, why did that happen right there? Yeah. Huh. You know me, I go huh a lot. Do but you? then I go, eh, after that. So <laughs> Shrug your shoulders. It evens up there, eh, you know me, you know, I, I, I let it ride. So Nate, do you have anything you want to add? I uh, do not. Okay. Well, this is a good segue because we start we're ending with talking about Scott Jacoby, and now we're gonna talk about Pam Dauber's hair, which is very similar. In <laughs> in <laughs> through and through naked eyes. Now I have a couple of spots for this. I'm gonna play the the trailer because it's full, and then we're gonna play the 10 second spot that somebody aired that somebody put on YouTube, but it cuts off at the very end. But I, I actually remember watching that commercial, so I want to play it. Oops, I'm playing the wrong thing. Sorry, that, that was just by accident. <laughs> I thought you were gonna sing for a second. No, I actually la, was, la, la, la. was completely by accident. La, 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 la. Um, here we go. It began as a game. It's just a little game that we've been playing, that's all. So she's a peeper too, huh? Neither of us peeped. I just got through telling you that. But when the killing started, (laughs) William Parrish's little game made him a prime suspect for murder. It's just not like that. Tell us what it is like, Mr. Parrish. It's sick, Francis. He's sick. William Parrish is not a murderer. He's a he's a quiet gentleman. I know him. Now, for William Parrish. Proving his innocence. Please, I can take these pictures. I don't want to hear it. I just want you to go home. Has become a matter of life and death. Naked Eyes. Okay, so that was the VHS trailer, um, which I think I actually have somewhere on one of my VHSs. This was the TV spot that played uh, to promote it on the network. They were neighbors. It's perverted, isn't it? No. They became lovers. Pam Dauber, David Soul, through Naked Yeah, and then they cut off the very end. I remember that ad very well. I don't actually think I saw the movie when it originally aired, but I don't know why, because I remember being really intrigued by... uh, They establish in the ad that David Soul is watching somebody, but that somebody's watching him back. I loved that. Oh, now that I think about it, um, there is a movie that predates Bad Ronald that has peeping, and that is called... Nightmare with Richard Crenna. I think it came out before Bad Ronald. And it's a little like this movie, but not like this movie at all. It's it's like he's watching somebody and they're watching him back. I remember that scene. Anyway, I remember being really intrigued by the movie because number one, I had Pam Dauber. And I loved her. I was right probably at the height of my love for Pam Dauber. And number two, it was like it looked a little salacious. And we didn't have cable. You know, I was like 13 or whatever when it aired. It looked like must-see TV. So I'm really surprised that I didn't catch it till I was an adult. That's all. I may I just I just wanted to set up the movie when it aired. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm looking at it. It's ABC. It's directed by 
the man, John Llewellyn Moxie, who's yes, directed many other great things. It's the written by Jeffrey Bloom, who wrote and directed a film that I almost love, Blood Beach. Oh, I forgot he did that. Yeah, I. That's a good movie. A, have you seen that one, Nate? Yes, I love Blood Beach. Yeah, yeah I. Yeah, I I almost love Blood Beach. I'm dying to see it either on the big screen or a really nice print of it on something. But I I almost love Blood Beach. The movie aired December 11th, 1983. And if I can just uh, give you some sort of pop culture setup, that year, that month, the Battle of the Network Stars episode that aired, uh, the hosts that episode during the month of December were Howard Cosell, Robert Conrad, and Donna Mills. The team captains were William Shatner, who was on T.J. Hooker, Mr. T, who was on A-Team, and William Devane, who was on something or other. Oh, must have been Knott's Landing, right? Oh, probably Knott's Landing. I'm sorry. I didn't. He was <sighs> on so many miniseries. Oh, my gosh. I got, Rewind the episode. Doodly, 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 doodly. William Devane from <laughs> Knott's Landing. Oh, my God. He's, he's awesome. so good on Knott's Landing. And, oh, my gosh, real quick. I, I just noticed this right now, and I have to scan real quick just to see what this was. Oh, my gosh. 1983, guess who was on the ABC team? Amanda. Pam Dauber? No. Uh, initials BM. And I'm sorry, that sounds like I'm being gross, but I just I know. B- Bill ben- Murray? Oh, come on. Think. Fat think- Masterson? <laughs> yes, please. Think of uh, the guys who fought in the gunfight at the OK Corral. Please, uh, Doc Holliday. Barry no, Manilow? no. <laughs> I didn't realize there were so many people who had BM as their. Bob Mackey. <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have. Oh my gosh, could you imagine him in the obstacle course? No, no. Okay, shh, shh, everyone, let's bring it down. Okay. Okay, Amanda. I know you've talked about this show in the past. I've heard, not on, possibly on this podcast, but on another one. It was a show you wanted to be on when you were a kid. And a star who was on a show that is that I love. Oh, Ben Murphy. What show was he on in 1983? Lottery. Lottery. So he that was, was like my on... favorite TV show of all time, and I only yeah. have one episode. I can't uh, find it. We got to find it. That's one of those weird shows where it's like, there are shows that ran for four episodes that I have complete runs of from that Wait, time. Because- I don't want to go off the rail again, but so, and I don't know why I'm going to confess this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Please. Um, when I was a kid and that show aired, I used to, and I think I might've said this on podcast media, which is the podcast that Dan and I do. Um, I wanted them to, so he went on the show with another guy whose character I can't, I can't even remember their Patrick Flaherty and somebody. And, um, blonde guy really good looking blonde guy and i used to fantasize when i was a kid that they would come and tell me i won the irish sweepstakes the million dollars but that i was an orphan or something and that they would take me on all their adventures with them (laughs) (laughs) and then i would go with them and help them give away a million dollars to everybody and i used to fantasize that that's what happened to me of course i would mean my parents would have to die or something horrible would have to happen but i would still end up hanging out with ben murphy that's awesome that was the, I, that was the payoff for I, dealing with that much loss at that age. I, I adore Ben Murphy. I think he's fantastic. So you know, I love Gemini Man. He's so. everything. But I just, I just, and also just to set a little more space, Jill Whelan from Love Boat was on there. The great and, Jill Whelan. Uh, Joan Van Ark was the also great on Knox there. Knox Landing. Yes, she would have uh, been on the CBS team, right? 
Yes, she was on the CBS yeah. team. The NBC team was Mr. T, Ed, Edward Albert, Eddie Albert's son. I don't remember oh, what show he was on. I love him. I do like him. Eddie Albert was obviously the star of Green Acres, which is one of, yeah. as you know, one of my like three favorite shows of all time alongside Columbo and Doctor Who. And Terry Copley, Chad oh, no, Everett. Oh, we got it made. Yeah, yes, Chad Everett. Vicky yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, what was Chad Everett on? I don't know. I'll have to look. I don't. Oh my gosh! In 1983, what was Chad Everett on? Yeah, That's, that doesn't uh, sound familiar to me. Well, I only kind gonna... of really realized who Chad Everett was like the oh last few years. He was on The Rousters. I oh watched The Rousters because <laughs> that was on the same time as Manimal, and Manimal just came out on DVD from. Oh my Shop god! Factory. Was Simon McCorkin was Simon McCorkindale on Battle of the Network Stars? Oh, I wish he was. Oh, he's so much fun. He's no, not. he is not. Not that I can see. Oh. Yeah. Vicki Lawrence and Andrew Stevens was oh, wait, on. Oh, wait, I want to compete against Vicki Lawrence. That sounds pretty easy. That, what, that might, you might pull that one off because she has to dress as mama. <laughs> so, but I'm sorry. I, I I suddenly realized that um, this movie aired right around the same time as, as that Battle of the Network stars. And I was 10 at that time. And um, my mom and my sister and myself would have watched that episode. So I just wanted to set the... Uh, yeah, I watched every Battle Network stars. Set the... Um, I watch them. I'm watching... I'm, I've got Bad Ronald still playing on one TV, but Battle of Network stars on another. So I'm... Uh, That's how you do it. Actually, I have Invasion of the Blood Farmers playing on another TV because my dogs wanted to watch a movie while we were doing this <laughs> that's a good one uh so here we go through naked eyes we are uh, in chicago right on lake michigan right probably down the street from where bob newhart lived in the bob oh. newhart show in the set yeah 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 prop not too far from that uh and there are uh there there is an apartment complex a south tower and a north tower and there are these lovely modern 1983 complexes uh, David Soul lives in one of them. Pam Dauber lives in the other one. A killer who might be David Soul or Pam Dauber <laughs> lives in one of them, too. Oh, my gosh. I, there's a heat wave. Who did the music for this, by the way? Can I, I ask? His name is like Gil Malay, I think. Or Gil Malay. Like okay. He's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, I remember seeing his name. And I. Um, so it's a heat wave. Middle of summer. Weather's getting up to around 100 degrees. In these two buildings, which look exactly the same, but which is awesome for uh, sort of set design because you just need to design it once and then change the signs. A woman has been killed before the movie begins. The movie begins, and to link it with Bad Ronald, it starts off where we follow a woman who's been playing tennis. And she comes in, and a man has been killed. And the cops show up, and there's all kind of hubbubbery. And David Soul is in his <laughs> eighth or ninth floor apartment. I forget where he goes because we see so many elevator shots in the movie. I, for- yeah. I I lost track of where we were. I'm going to say David Soul is on the eighth floor. Pam Dauber is on the sixth. But I could be wrong. Amanda, Nate, feel free to correct me if that's <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't pay attention. I, I, try, I, tr- I watched the movie three times over the past <gasps> week. Wow. Once with my wife. She she mostly enjoyed it, and and she um she she was uh she likes Pam Dauber and David Soul. Sure. Um, well, it's a good cast. It's a solid cast. It's a lovely cast. Yeah. Um. Uh. So what happens is David Soul is a flautist. Is he a flautist? Yes, I believe so. And he plays. I, I'm I'm imagining he's with the Chicago Philharmonic or something. Yeah. They play mostly Baroque 
flute concertos. And I am a classical music fan. I don't tell a lot of people that because I walk out of my house and big guys beat you up. If you oh, say they don't now. Well, I mean, not this week. Um, <laughs> but they plays a lot of uh, Baroque con- flute concertos, which are really lovely because they all go do 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 at the end, which you I mean, love. You mean, uh, can I just play a little bit? I, I actually took a clip. Oh, yes, please. Because please. it was so lovely. Please. And I'll try to fade it out so it's not completely jarring when I turn it off. Please. Yeah, so I really like the music in the movie. Baroque, Baroque. That's um, if you want to try, folks. I don't mean to go on a tangent, but Vivaldi has a lot of lovely flute concertos. Oh well, that leads us back to Crawl Space, doesn't it? That it? does lead us back. Oh yes, perfect. Because they were all listening to uh, classical music there. Yes. Um, so David Soul, he he's he's practicing with his flute in his. If his, that's what uh, you want to call it. That just sounded dirty when you said that he's practicing. <laughs> he's practicing with his flute and it's hot out and he's sweating. And suddenly he discovers <laughs> as he's practicing with his flute that Pam Dauber is looking at him. How many times have we had that happen to us? <laughs> so um, many. I lost so, count. So many. I was hoping Mark Harmon would have been on that Battle of the Network Stars, but he wasn't. And that Aww. broke my heart a little. And it becomes a semi. The, these towers are right up against each other. So you can see into all, all the neighbors' apartments. It's very much a rear window. It's very much. It's actually a lot like the Jacques Tati film Playtime. In that film, uh, Monsieur Hulot goes to a friend's house, and his friend lives. Have you guys seen this playtime? Am mm, I gonna no. am I gonna overexplain? No, I guarantee uh, you, you won't. Jacques, uh, Monsieur Hulot is a very sort of simple character, and he's in several of the sort of biggest like art comedies of the 20th century. Sure. Yeah, well, I'm familiar with the character. Yeah, yeah, and in playtime, he goes to downtown, well, Paris. God bless you, Paris. Um, And he goes on an interview, a job interview, and a friend of his takes him to his modern apartment. And the modern apartment is basically the the side of – if you hear a dog barking, that's my dog George. I just heard him run out in the backyard barking at one of the cats that wanders through. So I apologize. This guy takes Monsieur Hulot to his apartment and the apartment building, like the side of it is made up of nothing but – enormous windows and each room in the building is a window it's it's sort of that's kind of what this reminded me of because you just you're basically if you stand on the sidewalk you can watch a an entire family sitting in there it's definitely like a fishbowl it's like anybody can watch anybody at any time yes exactly there's no privacy and i mean like you could put your curtains closed but i mean first of all it's like 110 degrees yeah. And a lot of people probably had their windows open. Everyone's sweating. Everyone yeah. has sweat on their backs. As and and so you're just kind of exposed. I didn't even make that connection, actually. But you're really, like, exposed to just whoever wants to look at you. Yes. And Pam Dauber is looking at David Soul. So I don't know. That's like Mork and Mindy looking at Starsky and Hutch. I don't know what that means <laughs> in pop culture, uh, pop culture world. But um, And he discovers that this woman is looking at him. And the cops come to talk to him about this killing. Uh, he, you see him, 
rehearsing with his orca- the orchestra he's playing with, maybe the Chicago Philharmonic, they don't say. And you see Pam Dauber's character, who is named, and pardon me, I'm just going to have to look at the name real quick right here, because I, I, it's getting dark where I am. It's Anne, Anne Walsh. Anne Walsh, yes. And David Soule's William Parrish, so it's William and yeah. Anne. Anne it works at the local planetarium. Yeah, speaking of telescopes. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. She's talking about like looking at the stars and stuff to that those kids on that tour, which is really such a cool little like it's it's funny it's, reference. It's it's a great little scene too, and it's awesome too because all you can think is you they must have like it's like I just I just imagine Pam Dauber as like channeling Mindy bringing kids into the planetarium to show them constellations and play Pink Floyd all night at them or something like that. You know, I thought, oh my gosh. And what happens is more killings occur in this complex, in this the, the two buildings. As the movie goes along, you meet a very angry cop uh, and you meet, uh, well, I, I was just going to say you meet and suddenly I, I realized I was giving away something there. You meet a very angry cop and the very angry cop is convinced that David Soul did it. He's convinced the interaction the the um voyeur interaction between pam dauber's character and david soul's character who i will i will get their names right i apologize it's william and Anne. william and Anne, it becomes stronger and stronger as it goes and eventually they agree to meet yes well right before that just briefly because i want to talk about it oh sure um and i guess we'll talk about the movie more later but you know she she has this sort of ex-boyfriend who's married He's also like her agent for her writing. She's a freelance writer. And um, he invites her to the opera or to the Philharmonic or whatever. And she watches him perform. And I think it's so interesting because the first like 20 minutes of the movie, she's like kind of a really aggressive character. Yes. You know, because she's really the peeper. I think she's she's like, I don't know who. Well, I guess she starts it. I feel like she starts it. And. And there's a lot of her watching him. And even at the, when she's seeing him perform, it's all about being watched. Mm -hmm. And even then, like she has to use her little binoculars. Yeah. And when I was watching it, it doesn't really fulfill exactly what I wanted from the characters at the end. But I really liked that she was sort of the instigator because it's usually the male and the woman is sort of a victim to the male gaze. Yeah, because David Soul is he he plays his characters continually like um he he's very quiet. His character is very quiet. He's throughout. more he's more like a you would picture a woman in a, that type of movie. Yes, than, um, and and he's very surprised when he sees Pam Dauber looking at him through a telescope. Now, granted, I would have the same reaction if I looked <laughs> sure. out my back window and Pam Dauber was looking at me through a telescope. But she also but, never like. He's the one that will pull away from watching her. Like, yes. And, and like when they see each other after that murder and they're, they're across, there's like an ambulance separating them and they're putting the body in the ambulance and he sees her at the crime scene. Yes. And she looks at him and she kind of smiles. Yeah. And there's all this death and like darkness and she doesn't care. It's like she just has this tunnel vision, no pun intended, for (laughs) him as she watches him. She's not ashamed. 
And she she is the one who says we should meet. Yes, she calls meet. him yes. out of the blue yeah. and says we should meet. And I really like that. And and we'll talk about it as the film progresses. I don't know that her character remains that strong through it, but I really liked the way they they played it. And I really yeah. I think Pam Dauber probably was attracted to the part mm-hmm. because of that because it's it's not a Mindy role. It's, it's it's not taking it's not taking a back seat to anybody. It's great because they put her on the other end of the rear window where like the Jimmy Stewart character like cuz we're we're almost always in the David Soul right um space looking like Jimmy Stewart in rear window but she is actually the sort of like the one who is instigating it rather than Jimmy Stewart just right. looking at everyone cuz it isn't until the very end of rear window not not counting I forget who the woman is in rear window when she goes over Grace Kelly, to, right? Yes, when she go, um, yeah. Why, why, why did I forget? I know, Grace I was like, Kelly. Um, I'm. I apologize. Her to initials every, are GK. Yeah, I apologize. She, to every, she's on Battle of the Network Stars. I apologize to every human being um, for, but but apart from the moment where yeah, Raymond Burr's character looks over at him, and I just spoiled Rear Window, but it's. How how long can we go, folks? 60, 70 years ago, <laughs> yeah. where were we? Here, sixty years ago. Um, apart from that, it's all him. Right. On his end, but the joy of of this movie is that we get a rear window character who almost immediately <laughs> discovers that someone's already looking at him. Right. So so it's like he's I'm I'm peeping I'm peeping oh crap someone's been peeping at me and not only is she peeping at him but she has very elaborate descriptions of what he does later on. Yes. Oh yeah. We're actually meet. I have a soundbite. I don't know. Oh yeah. When they first that. meet. Yes. Yeah, yes. So they so she calls him right and she's like we need to meet. I think they're watching each other through the telescopes and she's like forget this this is stupid. Yeah. So um she's like hey let's meet and so they meet in a very public place and this is part of their conversation. Hello. Oh, hi. I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, things took a little longer than I expected. Oh, oh, that's all right. It's such a pretty day out. It's just kind of nice to be out. <laughs> um, yeah, I stay pretty cooped up most of the week. At home, in your apartment? No, no. Actually, I work over... Well, I do both. <laughs> I work at the planetarium. Oh. Yeah, I'm a guide over there. And uh, I do some writing at home. Uh, writing? Yeah. Are you writing a novel? No, no, it's nothing like that. Um, I write articles, but nonfiction, like for uh, National Geographic. I'm a musician. I know. You do? Mm-hmm. I went to your concert last week. You did? I enjoyed it. Um, it was the first time I'd actually heard you play. Uh, but I was sitting pretty far back. That's probably why I didn't see you. <laughs> well, I saw you. I, uh, I brought my opera glasses. It's nice to see you up close. Me too. That's such a great scene because it's like, it's sort of not as awkward as you think it would be. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's more awkward on his end, but even then it's not that bad. That should be really, like, they, they should be, they shouldn't be, but... In the society we live in, it seems like they should be ashamed. I, I, you know, then that's the thing about the movie is there's the the main policeman who is after them throughout the movie, or after he uh, who the main policeman is convinced that David Soul's character is the killer. He learns about the voyeuristic 
stuff that's yeah, going how on does he between do that? them by and peeping. But yeah, and he's and he is disgusted by that. But to me, it's like, so what if two adults are watching each other and then meet and fall in love? What what is it your business? Right, like huh? if like if it was if one of them was upset about it, that would be a different film. But they're not. It's, exactly. it's very no. consensual. No, they're very they're very sweet to one another. In fact, I mean, it becomes it becomes you could almost if there weren't people getting stabbed in the chest or back with knives, you could call it almost a romantic comedy. Yeah. Almost, you know. But David Soul, I don't know that he does comedy. Does he do comedy? I, I don't think, think Salem's so, Lot, but, Starsky and Hutch. But and I, I heard he's pretty funny. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I have a friend for my last job, before the job I work at now, when I lived in L.A., I used to talk to him on the phone all the time, and he said he was like the coolest guy ever. Okay. Well, a then, laugher. He's a laugher. Yeah, that's – it's funny. Yeah, I always thought um, with David Soul in this movie, I always I always thought he, he, was, he was going a little too far on the side of the – I you I think forgive me you have a sound clip I believe of of Pam Dauber, not Pam Dauber. What's her character's name again? I did it again. Anne. It's okay Anne. if you call them by the actor. I mean, it doesn't matter. Is it Anne and William? Yes. Okay, I'm writing them down on right here. And Anne meets up with a cop who hates William. You know, Miss Welch, I've gotten to the point where I actually feel a personal, almost an intimate involvement in this case. And I'm very sensitive to the relationship that's developing between you and Bill. I only wish, I really wish I could share your happiness. Well, why can't you? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because there's just too many pieces of this puzzle that we've already been able to put together. And on each piece, Miss Walsh, I see William Parrish's name. Well, then you're wrong, Sergeant. And I don't care if your partner or the entire Chicago police force believes the same thing. They're wrong, too. William Parrish is not a murderer. He's a, he's a quiet gentleman. I know him. I've spent time with him. And I've also watched him. Remember? In fact, I watched him even before you did. I love that. That's awesome. That's such a great awesome. comeback. That is awesome, yeah. Because yeah, she's that's... not ashamed. She's just like, no. this is what I did. I've been watching him, and I can tell you, this is the person he is. And I, I, lo I love it, yeah, because it's very much like uh, it's like an, a very adult sort of thing to just say. And not that I've been a kid for a long time, but uh, you know, it's like it's a very adult thing to say. Hey, man, come on. I I've been monitoring him long before you were in a professional capacity, and <laughs> I I know I he's this, that, and the other thing. He plays. He plays Vivaldi flute concertos all day long. Come on. I think this movie might be pro-peeping, and I think I'm behind it. <laughs> I, hmm, hmm. Made, the made-for-TV mayhem show goes pro-peeping, and I, <laughs> and I can get behind that. Yes. I think, I think well, the, the, the one thing that goes tricky with the movie a la peeping is about halfway through it, someone else is peeping on their peeping. Yes. And they begin to take pictures of Anne in bed, getting ready for bed, walking around in a robe prior to getting ready for bed. And I don't understand all the stages women go through before getting <laughs> It's bed. a lot. It's a Cause lot. Because usually I, just, I brush some teeth and jump into bed, put a little music on. But someone is – someone is, and they're taking pictures. And the, 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 the thing about them – I watched the movie three times – in the past week and a half. 
and I enjoy it. I think it's a it's a it's worth a viewing. I also don't fully understand the erotic thriller, which I think this is a TV movie version of. Right. Well, it sort of predates the erotic thriller the, sort of, in, yeah, in the, the late, heyday of it. Yeah, the late 80s erotic thriller with Shannon Tweed and yeah, I Sharon love those. Weary, and is that her name, I think? And um, all those yeah, sort Shannon of, Weary. Yeah, and I, was, and I never really watched a lot of those because I always felt like I'd be a perv if I went and rented those. Well, so I'll I, tell you, if you like, want to watch the, the late 80s, like you Night Eyes with Tanya Roberts. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. You know, which I guess was one of the big ones because I was a theatrical. They're They're really not that bad as far as like the pervy stuff, especially compared <laughs> to where we ended up with like uh, Showtime and Skinamax. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So they actually seem quaint. I'm sure at the time they were, they felt really tawdry, but they're, they're very charming. And, and if you Shannon Tweed's in it, it's probably going to be a good movie. Mm, okay. I, I've seen a lot of them. I used to actually have a column about erotic thrillers for a website. Oh. That's no longer, which is too bad. And so, um, and I watched a bunch of them. And it was like one of the few phases of, not one of the few, but like it was one of the phases of films that my husband really got behind me on because <laughs> he was like, oh, are we going to watch uh, Shannon Doherty? I mean, Shannon, <laughs> Shannon Tweed movie tonight? Oh, dude, what are you doing? And then, and, then I got, and then I got into Lifetime movies and he was like, oh. Oh, boy. Yeah, I will say if a slight tangent right here, I went to my day job this morning and I said to a woman who works near me, what did you do this weekend? And she said, oh, last, last yesterday. And she's referring to November 15th, 2015. She said, uh, she said, oh, I just spent the day watching uh, uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh, I'm in. And I said, really? Which ones? And she told, told me the titles. And I guess her husband was getting really mad after <laughs> mad at her after about the six hour mark. Yes. But I, I said, but there are so many of them. Oh, you my know, God, there's so, hundreds of them. It's like Christmas without snow, Christmas with snow, Christmas with a dog named Snow, Christmas with a dog who <laughs> Christmas with Christmas snow. snow? <laughs> Christmas with Christmas Snow. And it's just like there's so many of them, and that's just from like the past two years. Yeah, so, I know. They, they really crank those movies out. Yeah, that's um, – But I'm okay with that. Um, But I want to kind of talk about the person who's photographing them real quick. Yes. So please. it didn't occur to me – I'm so glad we're talking about this movie because I feel like I needed to talk some of this out. So when she's watching David Soul and we're talking about it now, I'm thinking to myself, I'm really, I really like that. I'm really into like that part, how they start their relationship. I think it's, it's not erotic, but it's kind of sexy and I like the way they shot it and everything. But it's interesting how they took that, which starts off as kind of sexy, a little edgy, and then they turn it into something really creepy because now we've got this unseen face right you only see the eye through the camera lens watching and they take all of that eroticism and kind of sexy tawdriness of it and then they kind of turn it on its ear Mm -hmm. and and it's very organic you know because it's a strange person who's now watching somebody who doesn't want to be watched by that person probably because because now also you have the the cop who there's a scene where the the cop whose name is oh i i have it here it is Detective Wiley. Detective Wiley, Dick Anthony Williams. Yes. And he he hates William. Oh, the, the David Soul character. Uh, and he really wants to nail him for this crime. And and it's the peeping thing that drives him up the wall. Which is interesting because that's what he does for a living, basically. Yeah, ex- exactly. But there's a scene with a psychiatrist 
Yeah, Fanola and, Flanagan. From, yes. Did I get her name right? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And she – but she kind of dismisses everything he says. Like he says, well, he's peeping on this woman and she's peeping back. And she's like, so what? Who cares? Well, he's this, that, and the other. He's unmarried. He's not – he hasn't been married. Well, he's, he's, he's single. He's not unmarried and da-da-da. And she keeps brushing him off, but he keeps getting angrier and angrier. And then they introduce this character of the guy who's peeping on Pam Dauber and taking the pictures of her, which almost makes you think, oh, the, he looks like the – was the cop right? Should no one be doing this because a creep is going to show up? But then I thought, no. Because it's David Soul and Pam Dauber. Come on. Well, you got passionate. Well, well, you know, it's just you got to draw the line somewhere. You know, and if it were, I don't know, if it were, I can't even think, if it were Eddie Deason and Linnea Quigley, I would <laughs> oh. say, well, maybe they shouldn't be peeping on no, each other. No, they should. That should well, happen. <laughs> that, that needs to happen. That, that needs to happen, yes. I um, But... Uh, I would like to see that movie. I would too, very much. Yeah, that's, I'm willing to produce that movie. But but here's the thing, though. I mean, the only person I could see disrupting the David Soul Pam Dauber peeping is Mark Harmon or Paul Michael Glazer. Yeah, one of the two. One of the two would come in and stop it. But the the peeping and the the thing is, we I don't think we've actually gotten near the end of the movie yet. Which uh, the thing about it is, I don't think a lot of people have seen the movie. Correct. So should we leave it there? I think you should. We should leave it here because I, the thing about the movie to me is that I watch it three times. And the first, the first time I watched it, there were two occasions when I watched it with my wife. When I said, "Why did that happen? What's going on there?" And once it involves, and I'll, I'll this is, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler, but there's there are some photos that come from the third third peeper the unknown peeper and open for the unknown comic and the- yeah exactly oh my gosh <laughs> have you seen the unknown comic special from the playboy channel from the mid 80s i'm not I, sure at code red put it out on dvd oh, it's yeah. uh it's weird tangent my phone just started ringing i apologize it's not it's not that guy from the last episode the halloween episode who wanted to oh, uh, okay. talk about the babysitters that's fine. I, what was I saying? David Soul? Yeah, no uh, peeper. Peeper. The, oh, the peeper sends some f- – he takes photos of Pam Dauber, but not Pam Dauber, her character Anne, and puts them in William's post office box in, in, the, in, the, in the apartment building he's in. And he finds them and he goes to call the police officer, but the police officer is in there, but Pam Dauber shows up and she wants to ha- make him dinner and da-da-da. And somehow through some contrivance, the photos end up in her couch. Oh, that's right. Are you and trying the, to get it to the dad? Yeah, I'm trying. I tried to get it to the dad. Yeah, we but- just say we. This is probably the best way to do it. So uh, William Parrish has a very strange life, and it's mostly secret, even to Pam Dauber. And um, he's got a really weird relationship with his father. Meaning, I don't think his father. I think he's drunk, and he wants a certain level of friendship. It's- Yes. With his son that his son doesn't want to give meaning touch football on the weekends and like, yes. you know, hanging out with the guys. And he's this very sensitive flautist. Right. So yeah. the cop kind of screws everything up because he's trying to get some background on uh, William Parrish 
and he calls the dad under the guise that he's writing an article about him. The dad kind of gets really pissed off about it, and which is one of the reasons why, oh, he's got problems with his dad. He must be a serial killer. So then the dad shows up at the apartment. And while well, David Soul and Pam Dauber are on their like second or third date and they see him through the window. And so David Soul's like, well, I got to go over there. And of course the dad's already two sheets to the wind, even though he showed up like 10 yeah. seconds before. He's got the brandy. Yeah. And he's got a few words to say to his son and they go something like this, which is wonderful. I think this is all a monologue and it's only just part of it. So here we go. Does the kid know how I do? Does he know how tough it's been out there? Oh, come on. Tell me. When's the last time you asked me how I was doing? And I don't mean how's business. I mean me, personally. How I'm doing. How my life is. What it's like being a man my age without a wife anymore. Living alone. Getting old. Not even having a son I can shoot the breeze with or take to the ball game. Have a few beers, play cards. Works. It works both ways, you know. Well, yes. A, play cards, play football, hang out, do dishes, it's, clean it's... my house, fix my car, <laughs> pay my mortgage, you know? And it's uh, and then and it all ends with Oh, and by the way, I've never listened to any of the music you've made in your life. So, yeah, but I'm the victim. Yeah, and Whatever, because William the the dad, there's an earlier scene with the dad, and I said to my, it's basically he shows up and it's literally three minutes of him going, oh yeah, this Chicago, all these killings, it's crazy. Why do you live here? And the dad lives in Miami. Hello, Miami. Yeah, no, I, know. I would not. I would not wander near Miami no. if you gave me. Well, if you gave me two million bucks, I might wander near. But they Miami. also have alligators too. They do. I don't mind alligators. I. <laughs> but I mean, on top what? of it, they have alligators. I'd live in. I'd live in Miami. If I. Oh, I'd live in Florida. I'm going to expand it. If I could live in the top part of Florida, you know, the part that sticks out to the left. Uh-huh. <laughs> because that's where Vernon, Florida is, which is one of my favorite movies. I would also live near swamps or the Everglades because. Oh, are, you gonna, are we going to get a David Warbeck reference? We're going to, I was going to say Miami. There's a movie <laughs> yes. called Miami Thank Horror you. slash Miami Golem with, uh, which is awesome. Yes. And I would gladly get in one of those things with the fan behind it, you know, yes. like, they use a Miami Golem or Police Academy 5 assignment Miami Beach. I would gladly live there, but I also think it would be too humid or too um too humid. Yeah, I I, I would pass on the too humid cuz I um I I I would love to just go back up to the northeast where I grew up or the I was in Portland, Oregon with my wife a few months ago, this, a month this- ago. Is this a psychology session? This is, Amanda, <laughs> let me tell you what I'm feeling right now. That I feel like William's dad didn't acknowledge what he was up to in his life. 
No, here's the thing. So I love William Shaller and he yes. can read a phone book and I would sit and watch it. Um, I think he's a great actor. I think he took the part because it's two pretty heavy duty, like it's almost monologues where he just like yammers on and on about whatever. But there's all this subtext to it. I get it. It's a great performance, but I think the character is really superfluous. I think here's what I thought. And I, I've, I, I have to lean to the right real quick. Whoa, I'm back. Okay. Um, Sorry, I had to set something down. I, I, the third time I watched this, I thought, is the dad meant to be a red herring or murder suspect? I don't know. I felt he was there just so that David Soul could leave the apartment and leave the photos behind. Well, well, that, that was the thing is like, wouldn't, wouldn't the killer do that though? Wouldn't the killer come into the apartment and get him away. So well, yeah, but I don't know. He, I mean, he'd have to assume. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like he's just there. You're for giving, that you're giving moment. him. You're, you're, you think you're giving the actor too much as opposed to the character who is talking talks about basketballs the whole time. Yeah, which you know <laughs> would kill me. That's how easy for me to kill me. But have you ever I, seen this movie? Um, it's it's got two different titles and I can't remember the other title. Of course, I can't remember the title that I saw it under, but it was uh, it was also called Moonlight Sonata with Craig Wasson from Body Double, which we'll probably talk about because this sure. movie predated Body Double. Um, David Carradine, the guy who played the Hitchhiker on the TV show The Hitchhiker. Sure. And I don't know what his name is, but I remember and, the Hitchhiker. And a girl that was in The Unnameable too. And oh. anyway, so David Carradine is this cop, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a drunk cop who has his own soundtrack. So every time he comes into a room, you hear this bum, bum, bum. Nice. And his whole, and I don't want to give away anything about the movie. I actually think it's pretty decent. Super low budget, independent, 90s, direct-to-video thing. The whole reason he exists in that film is that somebody needs to call the cops at the end so that the, all these police show up because it has to end a certain way. And He's in the whole movie. He has all these scenes, but he's really just there to make that phone call. To justify the ending. Yes. And and because they just need somebody to get the cop, a whole bunch of cops there at once. And to me, William Schaller is that David Carradine role. He is there to facilitate one moment that needs to happen for the rest of the film to progress. To get get, uh, William over to the other side. Yes. And... And if it wasn't William Shallert, if it was Emo Phillips in the role, I probably wouldn't like it as much, right? So, like, possibly, yeah. There's only a few actors that can be <laughs> William Shallert and with it, and Emo Phillips isn't one of them. And so, you know, you know, one one of the other actors would have been Fraser's dad. Oh, he's Frazier, in it. Who's in it as a cop? Yes, I he would have. He would have been good too. Yeah, he would have been great. Yeah. Yeah, there's, but, and so I don't mind the character. Matter of fact, I think he's a great character. But the relationship between David Soul and his dad, I don't know that that adds anything to the film. And I don't know that he, to me, seemed like a red herring. He just seemed like a guy who had a really kind of messed up relationship with his son. But what that had to do with everything that was happening, I didn't see a connection. I, it wasn't until the third time I watched it that I thought, are they I didn't think this at all the first two times, but it was the third time when I thought, is he meant to be a possible red herring? Yeah, you, he might have been and it just wasn't Poss- possibly because it is a thriller and technically in a thriller, everyone is up for grabs. 
Yeah. You know, and but and especially in an an erotic thriller, as I said, I don't know the rules of erotic thriller. Um, that's not a, a well. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to please. think. I don't, I don't know. So when I'm watching erotic thrillers, sure, it's, it's like the mystery is just like happenstance. I just don't even care. I like the romance in erotic thrillers, and I'm watching erotic thrillers that are very tame by modern <laughs> standards. So I don't necessarily watch erotic thrillers and find them sexually enticing mm-hmm. so much as I, I just enjoy watching them. I think that they're fun. So I, but I don't remember really like, I don't think the mysteries are ever like their strong suit. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of this, like Night Eyes 4, I think is supposed to have a twist ending, but you can kind of tell where it's going. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I, but I don't, I guess they all were red herrings. Well, it's, it's, yeah. Cause the, the person who turns out to be the killer and this is where we'll spoil it. If you folks haven't seen it, um, is, I, I actually I don't know how much I'm going to spoil it. Yeah, I'm be careful because right this here. is a we don't want to give away too much. Yes, um, uh, the the, the hmm. it's not Pam Dauber. I'll say that. <gasps> that that's where it ends. I'm going to stop right there. Okay. So, anyways, and, uh, there's a lot going on in this movie. That's what. Yes, we're exactly. Yeah, that's that's where I want to end it. But it's um, I will say the last the actual last like 20 minutes or so, which involve. If we're not going to spoil it, they involve some running around and there's Well, some... here's the thing. This is where I think the movie kind of lets me down is that oh. um, without giving too much away, I feel like Pam Dauber be- becomes the victim. And, yes. And she's, I don't feel that. She does. Um, so that's – I guess I can't imagine it going another way really. But the fact that I think her character is so independent and strong and autonomous and sexually like comfortable – Mm-hmm. is really important to me and i feel like at the end it kind of loses some of that by it, making her the target i i yeah i feel like um it's like it's like they 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 give her almost the upper hand they give her the upper hand and sort of the character um because like david soul is very quiet and very yes. almost mousy throughout but then when it gets to the suspense part about half hour before the end suddenly Pam Dauber's character becomes the character who is approached by the killer and David soul who might be the killer. I don't want to spoil it for you folks. He, he becomes, well, he never actually becomes quite a hero, but there is, there is one moment. I want to spoil one moment because which I thought was so the John Llewellyn Moxie. It happens so well that, I, I we may have to throw up a full on spoiler alert shortly. Be careful. Because I, I don't want to hurt anybody. I want everyone to have a good time. Tread lightly. <laughs> because there is a moment. Uh, well, as it gr- moves up to the end, there are a lot of very nice suspenseful moments as the killer approaches Anne's character in her. Yes, um, uh, yes. In her building. And the the police are there and other people are there and it's building and it's building and you you thinking like, oh my god, what's uh it's 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 like it's a mix of really well done and several moments where you think and not trying to spoil it, several moments where you think, Okay, that doesn't quite work time wise. But I'll let it ride and we'll let it go. Let it ride, baby. Let it ride. But there is, I would love, there is, there is one moment I'd love to, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a moment I'd love to mention 
right at the end that was oh re- you talk about the very very end no don't do that because it's so meta okay okay i'm not gonna i won't i won't mention it he has a very and, meta brilliant ending no i yes, do like that yes. ending very don't, much. okay yeah we're not gonna mention it then but yeah when you watch it all the way through when you get to the last it's five minutes the last five minutes well it's not um, even the last five minutes it's like the last minute i mean it's really the very end I wanted to spoil it less than Amanda did, so that's why I said the last five minutes. But she made it the last. Uh, well, well, I'm not spoiling anything. I'm <laughs> no. just saying it's a very meta. It's a very meta moment. It's 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 very kind of like yeah. self aware, and it's pretty yeah. good. It's, a it's good nice. Moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's an, it. Uh, the tricky thing about the film for me was that when I watched the first time, like I said, there were a couple moments where I said, "Why did this happen? Why did that happen?" As you watch it more you'll get more of those moments i think where you go and i don't want to ruin anything but well, there, are there, mo- there is some truth to that because you know so i've only seen this movie three times total over like same ten, here yeah. 10 years uh, one week here. yeah so one. i watched it i bought the video years ago and i watched it and i thought well i don't know and then i watched it again not too long ago because i saw was it in amazon and i was like "Ooh, this is kind of a rare movie it's kind of cool that they picked it up and so I watched it again and I thought, you know what? This is better than I remembered it. And then I watched it last week and it definitely gets better with each viewing. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I, it gets better with each viewing because there's a lot going on. Which there's is awesome. an awful lot going on. It's interesting yeah. because now that we've talked it out, I mean, I'm starting to think about all the like the little subtleties in it that um, are very interesting. And also a little bit more about I'm, I'm really attracted to Pam Dauber's character. Yes. And uh, I think she's really interesting. She um, and her. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Pam Dauber's hair is kind of mullety throughout most of the movie, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, they don't do a lot with it. They just leave it sort of as is. It's well, it's funny because it changed. There's there's a scene when she's talking to William. Her hair seems to be more mullety at one point, and when she's talking to her agent, a scene later. Well, that's because she's trying to be provocative. Her William. <laughs> But less provocative for her. Oh, and and that's of course because it's eighty three. The mullet is more provocative. Yes, it was yeah, provocative. Oh, okay, okay, all right. I got it. I got, you got it. it. Okay. I'm I'm really sad that we couldn't have the mullet conversation with Nate. Um, Nate for those of you who've been listening, he actually got disconnected, and we didn't know because we don't have our messages up, and he had to go to bed early, so he is out of here. That's no problem, um, Nate. Sleep, yeah. sleep well. I'm going to have a little cracker right here. In so your that's arm. too bad because I know he wanted to talk about Pam Dauber's hair as well. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer. So so why don't I go ahead and just give us some background on the movie? Please. Okay. Since I was able to find a little bit about this movie and um, I'll have a little surprise in a second that I think I'm really excited about and hopefully you will be too. I don't Holy think I'm excited mackerel. about it. I am. I like to say I think when I know I am. Um, so the original title of this movie was Voyeur. It was shot in 30 Days. It aired on this Sunday night movie of the week on ABC. Um, it ran against on CBS, the Jeffersons, Beantown. I think that was that Bill Bixby show, right? And Trapper John, MD. It was, it was. Yes. Yeah, I remember liking it. I feel like we have it. On yeah, it was pretty good. TV. Yeah. On NBC, there was another TV movie that ran against it that I didn't look up, so I don't know what it's about, but it's called Coast to Coast, starring Diane Cannon and Robert Blake. So that was its direct competition. Huh. Pam Dauber and David Soul stayed at the Executive House in Chicago, which faced Lake Michigan. I believe the address where they shot this was 4250 Marine Drive because I uh, Googled it, and it pretty much looks like the building. 
like nothing's changed. I'm pretty sure this was the building they shot it at. So the uh, it was mostly shot on Marine Drive and uh, where they took the apartments. They actually converted parts of the second floor into the makeup and dressing rooms. And at the time, uh, Pam Dauber had just finished doing uh, Pirates of Penzance. And I don't know if many people know this, but apparently she's a trained opera singer with a four octave range. And David Soule um, really got into the character. And one of the things that he did was he went into his apartment and he arranged things in, on the set to make it look more lived in. So, like, he did things like he put receipts in certain places and things like that because he wanted the apartment to feel like he actually lived there. And which I think is really interesting and cool that he got so into the character that he tried to, like, help with the set decoration. And so I, this movie, as a legitimate obscurity, uh, I was really interested. I didn't think I would find as much as I actually just gave in trivia. But uh, I went ahead and I contacted the writer, Jeffrey Bloom, who is probably most famous for doing Flowers in the Attic, uh, writing and directing it. And um, he has a photography business and he's online. And so I dropped him a line and he responded and he gave me some information about making the movie just a little bit. And so I'll just go ahead and read you what he wrote to me. We, we corresponded a couple times. So he said, I pitched the idea, then called Voyeur to producer Charles, Charles Fries. I think it's Fries or Freeze. I'm not sure you pronounce that. The company liked it and we made a deal. It turned out to be the first of many and was the start of a very enjoyable, creative, and lucrative association. The second movie we did together was Jealousy, which is um, a great movie starring Angie Dickinson, which is actually a dark romance anthology film where Angie Dickinson stars in three different, like, really dark romance tales. The first one stars Paul Michael Glazer. So you, so Jeffrey Bloom has worked with Starsky and Hutch, just so you know. Nice. Um, and he also wrote and directed Jealousy, and I think everybody should check it out. It's a really weird movie. I really like it. And then he went on. I asked him about John Llewellyn Moxie, and he said, like you, I was happy they hired John Llewellyn Moxie to direct. I don't remember if casting David Soul in the lead was my idea or theirs, but by that time, David and I had worked together in a number of, we had worked together a number of times. Dog Pound Shuffle, Starsky and Hutch, Mud, which was AKA the stick up and something called Swan Song. So they had a pretty good relationship. Um, and so he also knew Paul Michael Glazer before he made Jealousy as well, since he did a Starsky and Hutch. He said, I'd like to finish film and had a chance to visit the set in Chicago. All told, it was a good experience. I haven't looked at the movie in many years and don't know how, how, how it held up. Fairly well, I hope. And uh, I think we all thought it did. Uh, it was too bad we couldn't get Nate's opinion on this movie. I'd like to have heard his thoughts on it. I asked him about working with John Llewellyn Moxie because he only went to Chicago for like a set visit. So he didn't really have a lot of interaction with the actual making of the film. So he said, no memories of Moxie, alas, other than a lingering impression of a dignified fellow, soft-spoken, good humor, much talent. I also asked him about um, Rear Window and I asked him about Body Double because it came out before Body Double. But I feel like in some ways they're sort of similar. So and but he just said, yes, I'm sure Rear Window was an inspiration, conscious or not. I don't remember Body Double. I've always enjoyed writing thrillers. And then I asked him about David Soul, and he said, David and I met through mutual friends before either of us had more than a, a little success. Dog Pound Shuffle, my first film, was made before he got Starsky and Hutch, and I had to sell the producers on casting him in the lead. At the time, we were just a couple of guys working towards a career in showbiz. He was a terrific singer and musician. A few years later, he was enormously popular, particularly in Europe, and his fame made it possible for us to make the stick-up. David, in England, drew the kind of hysterical crowds, albeit smaller, that the Beatles did in the U.S. He lives in London now, and we still keep in touch every so often. So there's your information. Woo! Is that cool? 
That's very cool. Yeah, blood nice beach, blood beach. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice of him to take the time to respond to me. That's um, lovely. And give me some information about it. Because so there's thousands and thousands of TV movies. So it's really interesting. When yes. I first started writing about TV movies, um, I went online to see if anybody else was doing what I wanted to do. And there were three or four blogs uh, that were dedicated to TV movies. And one just had a main page and nothing. And they never updated it. One had like two reviews. It was like Satan School for Girls <laughs> and another movie that you could get anywhere, like Death at Love House. And that was it. And then no updates. And I think that there's actually a ABC Movie of the Week website. And I'm sure I have it bookmarked and I just haven't visited it enough. They update kind of regularly, but not too much. But like, it's really hard because there's a certain, uh, what's the word I want to use? There's a certain group of films that everybody remembers. Yes. And that are accessible. Like a dozen films that we all. Yeah, that everybody know. knows. It's just on the tip of your yeah. tongue, you know. Don't go like, to sleep. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, yeah. Bad Ronald. Uh, girls. Um, Escape. That's my Initiation me. of Sarah. <laughs> Escape. Um, oh, how yeah. sorry. Yeah, there's just there's just a few that everybody knows, and and yeah. they want so they think, ooh, I'm going to write about TV movies, mm. and then the, one or two things happens. Either they realize that there's only 12 films they want to write about <laughs> and they don't really care to see the rest or they don't know how to access the really rare ones. Although now with there's lots of ways to get these movies yes. or they start watching them again and they realize that they don't really care for TV movies anymore. And I, I, which always surprises me, but I have seen that reaction as well. I don't understand why you would pursue it if you didn't really like the product. So then that happens. So the thing is, is that there's there's like 5,000 TV, and this is just network and some cable in the early days movies. There's like 5,000 titles, right? And I don't know how many are available. I have a pretty good collection, and I only have like maybe at best 15%, right? At best, and that's probably yeah. overestimating what I have. So this is one of those movies that probably has little to no writing on it at all or any kind of real documentation. And what background is available, it really lives in the heads of people like Jeffrey Bloom or John Luella Moxie or Pam Dauber. And most of them either you, and it's interesting. So you get one of two actors as well. You get the actor who thinks it's really cool that you're writing about TV movies because it's something that they did and nobody recognizes it and they appreciate it, which is Parker Stevenson. And I also met Amanda Weiss and she was really blown away by the fact that I even remembered some of the movies she was in. Or you get actors who do them and it's a paycheck, right? And they're like, eh, you know, I did it. I don't remember it that well. We shot it in like 20 days and so I just showed up. You know, so you get those as well. So so it's hard to kind of build a history to these movies. So whenever you get a chance to talk to somebody who actually wants to discuss it, it's a really amazing thing. And I'm glad that I've been able to sort of document a very small percentage of it, mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't know if Jeffrey Bloom's ever going to listen to this, but I really appreciate him taking out the time. <laughs> to, yes. Mr. Bloom, if you have, I did enjoy Blood Beach. Don't, uh, everybody likes uh, Blood Beach. Yes. My, my bleeding skull review was a little critical, but um, it was a little critical because I believe that I I want to see it on on a Blu-ray, so that's and that's so I want to see it at its best. So it's know. a good one. I remember Siskel and Ebert. I don't think they liked it very much, and the, I was I, not expecting to like it when I saw it. And I thought this is really really charming. It's it's a it's charming because it's a mix of um, 
uh, really great monster stuff with really great semi seventies cop stuff. So it's it's like it's like that all pulls in together and like um Well it reminds me a little bit of Alligator. I don't think it's as successful oh, yeah. as no. Alligator, but it's it's kind of the same. Yeah, jo- yeah, John Sales doing Alligator is um in a in a in a in a different spot. I it think. is, but they're but they're kind of like the same film. There's sort of yes, like that humor yeah, is there, yeah. and it's that hybrid, and it's yeah. it's a monster movie. You know, they're having they're having fun with what the '70s did with the uh, killer, uh, nature gone wild, yeah, sort of thing, um, stuff. And yeah, that's uh, just when just when you thought you could go into the water, you can't get off it, the goddamn beach. Yeah. It's 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 really good. I'm a, I'm a fan. So anyway, um, thank you, Mr. Bloom. We appreciate yes. it. Yes. And um, is there anything else you want to say about them? I felt like there was Through one other eyes. thing that was lingering in my head. Through naked eyes. Oh, let's let's give us everyone listening. Give us ten seconds to scan our brains. Yeah, I, I felt like. Dude. Oh, I want to say Pam Dauber does another uh, being terrorized in a building film, uh, with <laughs> Lee Horsley. Oh. And it's, I believe it's called The Face of Evil, and it's a Dean Koontz adaptation TV movie. Oh, it's really, wow. really good. But I want to tell you what it's about because Please. it's important that you know what it's about. So <laughs> Pam Dauber plays a cop, okay? Speaking of strong characters. Lieutenant and, Dauber. Yes, and, and Lee Horsley is her husband, and he plays a psychic mountaineer. Wow. And they get trapped in a building. That sounds like That sounds like the most wonderful mesh. Okay. Yeah, it was awesome. And and there's some kind of serial killer and I can't remember if he's after Lee Horsley or Pam Dauber, but he they're in a he has a magazine, I think, and they're at his offices and everybody's gone or or almost everybody's gone and somebody's trying to kill one of them. And he basically kills whoever's left in the building and then he stalks them. And so Lee Horsley has to use his psychic mountaineering powers. <laughs> he uses oh both. My gosh. He uses both to get them out of their situation, and it's it's pretty good. I highly recommend it. Are are we thinking of Lee Horsley as an actor who is playing someone who has mountaineering psychic powers, or are we thinking of like him as like Matt Houston? Um, uh, I play- think he's a little like Matt Houston. Playing the okay, all right. I'll watch it right now. Let me put it and on my she, list. And she places CJ. <laughs> That's awesome. That's right. If anybody gets my Matt Houston reference, thank you. I will. Yes, I, I, I watch Matt Houston. <laughs> it's so I, good. I still watch it. I'm no philistine. I understand these oh, things. Okay, so okay, so let's do a little. Let's do a little house cleaning. Um, yes. Okay, so before we get to feedback, we're going to do feedback. We got a really amazing feedback this week. I'm really happy about some stuff that I'm going to talk about. But the the thing is, we can't tell you what the next movies are going to be because we haven't scheduled them. So what happens is, this, even though this is our fifth episode, this is only the second episode that we've done it the way we planned to do it. And even then, we still haven't done it right because Nate keeps dropping Nate in. Nate had huh? to go. Nate had to go. Yeah, yeah. and and I feel like I feel like Nate makes such a great third person. Yes, and I feel like that part makes me sad that he can't be here. But we haven't been able to. So we've had two special episodes or three special. I don't even know. But <laughs> I think we're actually going to do it. The next episode's going to be a special episode. The problem is, is that we're going to have a special guest star, and we haven't been able to coordinate uh, the schedule with with them yet. And I feel like because Thanksgiving is coming up, we're not going to be able to squeeze in another podcast. 
before that. So chances are we're going to have two holiday podcasts coming up. And since we haven't all decided on the movies, although we're pretty sure. We, uh, yeah, 80% sure. Yeah. Uh, we, we also don't know which ones because this person's going to do two episodes with us, I think. And we haven't decided which episode we're going to do first because one's going to be different than the other one. Not to mention that the films are different, but it's going to be a different segment stuff in there. So we'll let you know and I'll post it on the website um, when, when we know. And it just occurred to me today that we really should have been more diligent with, I should have been more diligent with that, but I've been really busy with school. And I know, I think I've said that every episode, but you can't even imagine my workload right now. So um, now I, sh- I should have been, I should have been asking you about it too. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, thought, I slipped, thought we had a little, my mind. Yeah, I thought it, it was a little closer than it was. Yeah. So so uh, we don't know yet, but we'll let you know as soon as we know. And hopefully we'll, we'll be back in the next like three weeks at the latest. I want to do this every two weeks, but, you know, coordinating things with everybody is difficult. And because we want to bring on this fourth person or third, yeah, fourth person. For Christmas, and, yeah. And they're really busy during the holiday season. So I want to work with their schedule as best I can to make sure that they can come for both episodes. And they seem really open to it. So they said they'll make time. So we'll figure it out. Um, but I just want to put that out there. So at the end, we're just going to give away our contact information and uh, there'll be no movies <laughs> to, to look forward to. And you'll, le- you'll learn soon. You'll yeah. learn. As you soon will. As and it'll be fun. I think everybody will yeah. know what we're going to do. Yeah, and if it doesn't us. work out, we've still got two more films coming up that yeah. should be pretty good to talk yeah. about as yeah. well. Precisely. Yeah. yeah exactly. So um, here we go. So uh, last uh, batch of feedback has been really cool. So I, I want to start with an email. I finally, I'm getting stuff through the email, which is nice because I've had it set up for months and nobody's contacting me. Um, finally, somebody contacted me and they, they actually gave us a really nice uh, set of talking points. And I think it's going to lead into something I want to talk to Dan about that he brought up to me recently. So let me go ahead and just read this and then we'll go through his stuff and we'll discuss it. So, Okay. Amanda, first of all, my name is Chad, and we, we actually corresponded a couple of years ago about our mutual love of the Dal- of the new Dallas and, and this reboot. I'm sorry, of Dallas and the new reboot when that came to TNT. I'm really loving the podcast. I just finished the third one. What I'm enjoying about it is that you guys really love these movies. All my life, when I would mention some of these movies, I'd always get the same two responses. No, I don't remember that movie. Or, yeah, I remember that movie. It was awful. It's so great to hear people who love these little forgotten gems. And I really appreciate all of the research that you put into it. I know what time of year, oh, I, I love to know what time of year a movie aired and what it was up against on other channels. The trivia tidbits are great. Anyway, looking forward to future podcasts. Some of my favorite movies that I'm looking forward to hearing you discuss are Midnight Offerings, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, Dying Room Only, Midnight Hour, which you've already discussed, The House That Would Not Die, Dark Mansions, She Waits, A Taste of Evil, Hotline, The Gift of Love, Satan School for Girls, Two Charlie's Angels for the Price of One, Crowhaven Farm, The Victim with Elizabeth Montgomery, and The Two Worlds of Jenny Logan with Lindsay Wagner, uh, signed by Chad. And then he wrote, P.S., Summer of Fear was based on the book Summer of Fear by Lois Duncan. She also wrote three other books that were made into movies. I Know What You Did Last Summer, the 1997 film, and Stranger With My Face, a 2009 Lifetime movie, and Killing Mr. Griffith, 1997, or Mr. Griffin, I'm sorry, 1997 NBC TV movie. You probably already knew this, right? I actually didn't know about Stranger With My Face. 
um, yeah. which I, I don't sure I'm familiar with. And um, so now it's on my list. So thank you, Chad. So a couple of things, yeah. Chad. Uh, yeah, very nice. So a couple of things Chad brought up uh, I want to talk about is that so he wrote that he likes the, the little trivia tidbits we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. It's beyond great. But what I think is so funny is that it's really hard to find a lot of information about these movies. So that's why I started looking to see what they were running against, because that was one of the more accessible pieces of information I can find. And I'm really glad that people seem to like that. Yes. Because um, sometimes that's all I'm going to have. So Yes, exactly. Yeah. When I was talking about Battle of the Network Stars, I don't actually quite know when it aired. I think it aired a few days before through Naked Eyes. But um, I'd I love to uh, set the pop culture ground rules for the episode or the movie as it were. Well, I mean, I think context is really important and I know I'm in school to become an archivist and archivists are all about creating context for research. So that's like, there's a big hammer. This is context and they hit it over my head every day. Right. (laughs) And so that's a big thing, but I think it really helps. And I think he said something here and then we'll talk about Dan's thing. He says this thing about, Oh, I remember that it was awful, but you know, I wonder if some of these people didn't think it was awful when it originally aired, Mm. you know what I mean? I feel like sometimes because so much changes with the way films look and are presented, like I think soap operas are a good example of that. So I watch a lot of classic soap operas. I have some uh, like bootlegs of old, uh, particularly one life to live, but I have other stuff and the way soap operas worked then, even though they, they seem fairly traditional now, was that the pacing was a lot slower and it was more character driven and they spent a lot of time lingering on conversations for like a few minutes at a time with just between two people. And now they're a lot faster paced and, um, and they're still, they're still not like the way people like to unfortunately watch television. But like, I think sometimes people watch like walking dead is a soap. Let's face it. Yeah. Game of Thrones is a soap. Let's face it. But they look at like these old one life to lives and they, they were like, oh, that's just that's... horrible. But they, they were probably watching that in 1992 and thinking, oh, Vicky did what? You know <laughs> well, what I mean? You, ho- you hop back to Dark Shadows in the 70s. And I think the uh, the pacing of that, albeit very slow, I think is very charming. And then you also hop back to, we mentioned this um uh, when we talked about this house possessed, I think we mentioned the Hummerts, um, and I forget the their names now, but uh, they were the ones along with the woman who created Guiding Light in the '30s, uh-huh. created soap operas. And one of the things that the Hummerts said was, "We've taken polls, and the average housewife listens to our show three times a week, so we have to pretend." When there are five episodes a week, we have to pretend like they've seen three. And that's how we have to structure the episode. Well, yeah, that's why you get a lot of repeated information. But- so you get a lot of repeated information. Not only that, but you get a lot of the um, uh, stuff like um, Aunt Martha, who lives in the house down the road. Yeah. What are you doing? I don't know, Susan, my niece, who just recently returned to town, and you get stuff like that. Yeah. And that's like, and and I think, like, with soap operas and things, you, like, 
you you grow as you go along in the years and you like the the young and the restlesses i watched from last year um i thought they were much more speedy than i remember any soap opera from the 80s when i right. would watch them with my mom during the summer and that's what i mean so people like they they'll look back on these things and and because things are different in the modern times they forget that that's how things were in and I, in 1970 whatever you know what i, I mean and I think, well, I think people, I think it's funny because we have the, have you been on this thing called the internet? I, I've been on it. And no. It's great because I can look up things like, uh, I don't even remember what I can look up, but there's all kinds of junk on there. And, and, but you can look stuff up and it's like, you, you can get a context for other decades, other generations. Yeah, it's not that difficult to. And yeah, and so so you would think to me it's like especially with soap operas, if you really love a soap opera and you want to hop back a couple decades, read up on it because in to me something that airs 5 times a week, the amount of pressure you're putting on an actor sure. and a writer and a director to do that you you need to adjust as you go. Right. So that that's that's always strange to me when I hear folks mention that with soap operas because it was like you hop back to when they started, you will be amazed at how goofy they sound. Well, but I mean, like you, but you have to like you have to look at your surroundings and oh, mm. I thought I had a button. Okay, and so <laughs> it's like it's like <clears throat> I feel like he he's getting what uh, what I think we as retro lovers. Mm-hmm. here all the time and that's like oh yeah that was awful but you know like you loved it when it first aired yes. and and so I, I have this thing and i don't know if it's right or wrong but like the other day somebody said on facebook you know when i was watching the carol burnett show and i it just hasn't aged very well and my first reaction was maybe you haven't aged very well oh yeah do we ever think about that no. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, I get it. I get it. Maybe the Carol Burnett show doesn't have the same, I don't know, appeal, but if, which is stupid because it's if, amazing. But it's like, it's like, it's like you, we all have a different way of watching films and watching yes. television and the product isn't changing. We're changing. I think, yeah. I, I think people, people give films more um, sort of credit. Sure. Than they do television, sure. I think. You know, so like if you watch a if you watch an actual full hour long Carol Burnett show from nineteen seventy two, it's going to look really weird to anyone now because it's a variety show sure. that is a genre that doesn't actually properly exist now and hasn't existed for a well, while. Also, the humor is a little different, and it's also like like it's like not as minimalist. As something mm. like the Flip Wilson show, which sure, I'm sure would yeah. blow people's minds now, but yeah. like, there's a lot of sets. That's obviously a set, mm-hmm. you know. It's uh, I mean, almost all their sets are like that, and it's like, uh, it's like that's not how TV is produced these days. Yeah, that's, and, and so therefore, it becomes awful. But well, it's it doesn't become awful because it was no. great, and you just don't know how to and, like remember. It, it's it's. I hesitate to say it, and um, if anyone wants to write to me and call me a dumb jackass, I'll understand. I I won't be happy, 
but I'll understand. Um, but there's like, um, I was, uh, this past week I was on a couple of sites. I was reading some old reviews of, uh, DVD releases of seasons of TV shows from the seventies. One of them was Charlie's angels. What were some of the other ones? There was an eight is enough. And, um, what was another one? Oh, it was a Starsky and Hutch and the, the reviews of these. And it was, I won't say the site cause I don't want anyone running after us where we're, Maybe when we get to episode 100, I can boldly <laughs> state, but uh, episode five or six where I, I'm going to be calm. But there's something about reviewing a show that was meant to be watched once a week for an hour or a half hour. But these were all hours. And and you sit down to review the DVD uh, set of the season, say – Season three of Charlie's Angels. I haven't seen much of season three of Charlie's Angels. I know a woman who has probably seen all of those episodes. And I, I don't want to say her name, but uh, she might be close to us at this moment. Yeah, she might be on this podcast. She might be on this podcast. Maybe. and um, but, but it's like when you review these episodes, it, it's weird because these episodes are reviewed and – this also happens with one of my favorite shows, Doctor Who, where they will review – Doctor Who used to air in serial, serial format in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so stories would air across four, five, or six weeks. But people will sit down and watch all six episodes in a row and say, oh, it's kind of dull. And that's what happens with like Charlie's Angels or, or Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, I don't know what planet that is, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like you watch it and you go, okay, and people say, well, you know, if the show I'm sure is fine in short bursts, but watching four or five episodes in a row, I find it repetitive and kind of uninteresting. Yeah, and they don't get that binge watching is a new cultural uh, phenomenon. Yeah, bin, binge watching is the last ten years, last five years. Yeah, I, I think it's I yeah, I would say five years. Five years, you know, and it's like you can't watch a show from the 70s the way you would watch well you can you can I you do, can but not everybody can like i yeah, get it yeah. and, see and the thing right. about amanda is that what i call amanda when you're not here i call her super amanda see because she can watch, can an, watch an entire season of heart to heart overnight and she comes out of it stronger yeah i do and 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 she she comes she comes to my house and she picks up dogs and she waves them in the air and she sets them down and she but runs I mean, around. You brought up such a really good point because it's like it's like nobody unless you were the producer of the show you really didn't have access to watch five or six episodes in a row. Yes, and and nobody watched television like that. They yes. watched it once a week or maybe they watched it every day when it went into syndication, one hour a day. Yes. Maybe look, 2 hours if it was like, I don't know, something super popular. Look at a dumb show like The A-Team, which I don't really like. Oh, I, like I the can team. Okay. see I can see watching The A-Team and loving it once a week or or like I do with Doctor Who, one episode a day. Yes. I can see like coming home from a long day at work and sitting down with a little glass of wine or a nice glass of something and spending 45 minutes with 18. Yeah. I, I, perfect. 
they're not recognizing they're not recognizing how the shows were meant to be watched and then they're yes. critiquing them and i mean I, there's space for that i mean obviously there's going to be people who that they live in modern eyes and that's how they review things but that seems unfair and that seems like not a good move for a critic to make right because Especially because there's so many shows that you can watch that way that have come out in the past five, ten years. But it means you don't. It means you don't understand the history of the genre you're talking about. To yes. me, because, you don't understand the history of television. Yeah, yeah, because because that's not how it is. So I think that that's that's really important. And and so when I read this email, and I just want to, we're getting really late. This is becoming super epic. I'm so. sorry. Yeah, this is yeah. We got um, a little more feedback after this. Um. So, but uh, but that kind of struck me. That he it reminded me of what you said about that because when he talks about that, yeah, I remembered it was awful. But I wonder if people really thought it was awful at the time, or if it's just really in like to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's TV movies with Manimal. Shout Factory just released Manimal on DVD. I remember enjoying it, but for the past thirty years, I've been told that it was terrible. I just watched the ninety-minute TV movie and the first three hour-long episodes, and it's quite charming. Yeah, I, I like I, it. I've quite enjoyed it. And I'm I'm excited to watch the remaining four episodes. Aww. So Manimal. Manimal. And it's so great. And you know, it's like, oh, uh, they you know, they overdo the transformation scenes and they, it doesn't make any sense that he's in a full like three piece suit and well, then he becomes a dolphin. Well it's always the same animal shots suit. too. It's always the bird with the same background. It is it's tricky <laughs> because whether or not he becomes a parrot or a hawk, or a dolphin, or a panther. It's the same shots of his hand with the bladders on But it. he's got that crazy white scarf. He's got that scarf, and it's Simon and, McCorkendale. And well, he's a good-looking yeah. guy. I mean, and let's just put it out there. S-E-X. <laughs> Please. That's what he is to me. Please, America and the world, can we enjoy that? Can we enjoy the McCorkendale and his we white scarf? McCorkendale, I, I watched an episode yesterday where he was trying to – he was saving a young woman who was raised by wolves literally after I watched an episode of Lucan. Yeah, I was going to say that's very Lucan. Lucan, and I watched the boxing episode of Lucan, which is Not possibly – the weakest episode. Yeah, it's not my favorite. Still, I love Stan Shaw, but it's not my yeah. favorite episode. But Lucan, I didn't realize, was in the movie Time Walker with Ben Yes, but yes. That's, that's another side that we... He's the one who steals the jewels that sends the mummy after them. Yes. Um, but the boxing episode was okay, but the... Man I'm about the, to roll the window up on you, just so you know. Oh, I, I'm about to. Uh, I'm about to go to bed right here. On my, but but animal. No, what well, what it is is that when Manimal saves the wolf woman, she they basically the bad guys put her in a crate and dump her in the ocean. He turns into a dolphin, smashes in the top of the crate. She she comes out of the top of the crate, grabs the dolphin's fin, and the dolphin carries her to the water to safety. I had tears in my eyes. It was so exciting. It was fantastic. So, you know, Manimal doesn't let you down, provided you like Manimal. You're provided. Yes, it was good, though. I liked it. It's, it, it is good. I do like it. Um, so, and also, I just want to mention, Chad mentioned a lot of movies here that I love. I don't know that any of these were in our 10 uh, things that we were trying to pair up, but I, I, 
I think Legend of Lizzie Borden will show up. Saints Girls might. But all of these movies are movies that we should talk about. Um, Midnight Offerings is like the greatest movie ever. Um, <laughs> Dying Room Only, greatest movie ever. House That Would Not Die, greatest movie ever. Dark Mansions, greatest movie ever. Um, Dark Mansions is really fun because it's like a gothic uh, horror romance thriller along the lines of Dark Shadows, but without this, the vampire stuff. But it's it's really good. Um Hotline is definitely going to be talked about because that's one of my favorite, favorite movies. Um, she Waits. see that one, yeah. She Waits, I'm not a huge fan of, but I really want to revisit it because it's pretty popular. And it has a really great TV guide ad, which I have. Um, I've never seen The Gift of Love with Lee Remick. Uh, Saints Go for Girls would be really fun to watch with Saints Go for Girls, the 2000 version, which I've reviewed on my blog together. I like them both. Corhaven Farm is so good. Um... The Victim is really good. I love Elizabeth Montgomery. I She definitely needs um, some time here on the show because she's a very important figure in TV movies. And finally, The Two Worlds of Jenny Logan with Lindsay Wagner is so good. And it also has Linda Gray in it. So that's our little Dallas wraparound. Woo-hoo! And uh, I just want to thank Chad for listening. Thank you, and- Chad for sending this really great email and I'm sorry it took us an hour to get through this stuff. Okay. So I'm going to go. So this is some stuff that was left to us on Facebook. And I'm um, not going to say much. Okay. Well, there'll be plenty to talk about. I just, I realized now I'm looking at the time. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. We're going a little over. <laughs> so, um, here we go. Jeff Cohen on Facebook writes, couldn't resist letting you know how much I'm enjoying your podcast. The amount of enthusiasm, information, humor, and evident love for this topic by you and your co-host is as remarkable as it is wonderfully entertaining. Your shows have prompted me to seek out titles that I've either never seen as well as those I've only, I have dim childhood memories of. I know it's an effort to put these podcasts together on a regular basis, but I know I speak for many when I say, please don't stop anytime soon. Congratulations on all your fine work. That was like the sweetest email ever. So, or Facebook post. So, thank you, Jeff. Um, it does take a little time to put these together, Thanks, but Jeff. we're also like uh, Dan and I are both working on outside projects, and I'm in school and going to work, and he works almost full time, or I think he might work full time. So, um, we're hoping that as the months go by, the, those responsibilities on the side there will kind of ease, not work necessarily, but some of the other projects. And um, and we're going to keep it going as, as much as we can. So I'm really glad you're listening and enjoying it. Um, Eric J. Peterson writes, catching up on the podcast and listening to episode three, there was a lot of talk about Jim Hutton and the Ellery Queen series. A fun tip of the hat to the series was when Tim Hutton dressed as his father's version of Queen in an episode of Leverage. So um, Eric actually posted photos comparing Timothy Hutton to his dad in the hat. And I'm going to put those when I get a chance on the podcast blog for everybody to look at because I thought it was so cool that he did that and took the time to do it. And the fact that he even caught it was amazing. Um, and also we have a listener named Caffeinated Joe who has sent us several uh, emails, Facebook posts, and Twitter contacts and other stuff. And so I only picked a couple of them to read because – um, it's a lot of content. Joe's cool. Uh, I think we communicate almost every day now. He's a really nice guy. We just connected on Facebook um, last week, I think. So on Facebook, he wrote, thanks for the shout out again. I appreciate it. I commented on the podcast blog page about the show, but forgot to say thanks for the mention of my Tumblr blogs. There, is, There is a Halloween and Christmas one, but the one you might appreciate the most is a retro TV site, which is called My Third Parent, which you can find at mythirdparent.tumblr.com. Um, I actually had no idea that he was the guy behind my third parent. 
Um, and it's amazing. Yes. And everybody needs to go and check it out. It's really cool. And um, I just thought, wow, because he's got all this other stuff going on and he's always watching retro and like he watches so sweet. We're talking about um, Burgess Jenkins is leaving Young and the Restless. And we actually had a conversation about if whether or not he would go to General Hospital, which he's not, um, to replace Patrick, which is ironic because Patrick is up to replace Burgess Jenkins on Young and the Restless. So we talk about all kinds of stuff. He's He's really got his hands in all the cool fun pop culture stuff and then he sent an email so he actually um had never seen bad ronald so he watched it along with us and he sent an email hi watch bad ronald during the night we live adjacent to a fire station uh in our town and at 2 a.m someone set set off the old emergency siren it's an old one used to alert the town and can be heard for a couple of miles around you can imagine how loud it was next door. I was awake for the rest of the night. Good time to watch a creepy film. <laughs> and Bad Ronald is a creepy one. So much good stuff and well done. I especially like the care put into making Ronald's secret room make sense logically. Good thing Ronald was handy with tools. I felt bad for him most of the time. The girl's death was unintentional, even if he was acting rash at the time. How he reacted afterwards seemed like what a panicked teen might do. His mother didn't help after the fact, reacting badly herself. But you can see that, albeit extreme, desire to keep the little family intact. Yes, I agree with that. After the nosy neighbor's... After the nosy old neighbor's also accidental death, you can see Ronald just lose touch completely. He is trapped in a hopeless situation he knows no way out of. Also, did no one miss the old lady? No one seems concerned that she's suddenly gone. <laughs> yes, that's true. I have to say I was surprised when the youngest daughter came home and Ronald was in the bedroom. Startled me too. One last thing is the cop. He's not the most sensitive dude when the girls talk to him about their missing runaway yes. sister. <laughs> A good movie I think holds up well for being 40 years old. Thank you for the recommendation. And then um, he left one more comment on oh. here on the website. I'm telling you, this guy gets around. All right, so he wrote, okay, that was a ton of fun. Love the horror movie promos and also the Friday the 13th, the series promo I heard mixed in there, I think. Yes, she did. And love that there's a is love not only for TV horror but for Jason Lives, which yes. I actually just saw this weekend on the big screen. I got awesome. to be the director, by the way. Uh, and I got a poster sign. And one of my favorite Friday films, since it's just a ton of fun. I also agree with Amanda. I prefer the Lance Guest Lives ending of Halloween 2. By the way, he wrote Lance Guest Lives in capitals. So we're both passionate about LGL. it. LGL. Yes. Woo. Uh, always hoping it will be the ending AMC airs during Fear Fest, but usually not. The Midnight Hour is one I've heard of twice this past season. I don't recall watching it when it aired originally, but I might have to. I do want to check it out. Uh, definitely check it out, Joe, and let us know when you see it. From the previous post, I looked up Crawl Space on Amazon, and it was a bit pricey. He did find it, though, and he said uh, he, he was going to watch it. Uh, your talk really intrigued me, and I haven't heard how he feels about that, so I'd like to hear about it. Yeah. Um, thanks again for doing this. I'm enjoying your chats uh, and the retro TV trivia and info. No one I know no one I know was as hooked on TV as I was, so I have a, f so I have a few to share this plethora. plethora, plethora? Oh, my <laughs> God. Why couldn't I say that? It's a little, either, either or, I think. A little 70s and 80s TV tidbits with. You guys hit it just right. So, And then we got one more piece of feedback, which I'm really excited about. I might have to um, lay the oh ground boy. for this one. Oh I listen boy. to a lot of podcasts. Because um, I have a job where I'm by myself a lot, and a lot of it is just straight-up data entry, and that can be really boring. So I kind of got in the habit of just checking out different podcasts, and I came across this one called The Strange and Deadly Show a few months ago 
I guess a little before the summer. And I think it's because they reviewed graduation day. And, um, and I was like, Ooh, a slasher. So I downloaded it and I thought, Oh, this is pretty good. It's two guys in England named Tom and Chris and other friends. And they're doing, uh, they're covering section three video nasties. And I don't know a lot about section three, but it's, I think it's movies that didn't get banned, but had to have certain cuts made to them to become available to the home video market. And I could be wrong about that. But so there's this list that nobody really knew about that existed. And I guess there's 80 something films on them. And so they've decided that they're going to cover all those movies and they do it by themes. So like if there's two cannibal movies on the list, they put two cannibal movies together. And that might be where I got inspired to do this show the way I'm doing it. I can't remember, but that sounds right. I was kind of periodically listening to them over the summer. And then at some point I decided it was like the best podcast I'd ever heard. So they only have like 15 or so episodes, which is unfortunate. And um, it's just wonderful. And I became really obsessed with them. So I, I actually started leaving them some feedback on their Facebook and emailing them. And one of them decided to check out the show. And he uh, just a couple hours ago left some tweets for me. So I just wanted to read these to you. Uh, He tweeted, currently listening to the Made for TV Mayhem podcast, and it's fantastic. Highly recommended and will be subbing pronto. And I'm not sure what that subbing pronto means, unless he means he wants me to come on a show or he wants to come on this show, which he gets more than happy. I'd be more than happy to have him. Um, And I'd be more than happy to, to talk to them. Their accents will melt your ears. Let me just tell you, they have the most beautiful accents ever. (laughs) So that's half the fun of the show, honestly. (laughs) So then I tweeted back and I wrote, they made again. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. And then he wrote, which this was so cool. And I I don't think it's true, but he wrote it. So you're welcome. Although we're the ones who should be honored, you have way more of a following than we do. And I'm not sure where he got that from, but that was really cool. And then uh, I responded and I said, if that is really true, there's something wrong with the world. Seriously. And then he wrote, oh, well, thank you. At least we have some really loyal people listening. And they do. They get the same people leaving feedback for them almost every week. Um, And I know them by name now, too. And some of us are on Twitter together now. So I want to recommend that everybody check out The Strange and Deadly Show, especially if you like uh, exploitation movies and horror movies. I don't necessarily agree with all of their opinions. Like, they didn't really care for Prom Night. They didn't hate it. They did not. They were kind of underwhelmed by it. But I like the discussions. I really like the rapport between the two guys. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really fun. Uh, I like that they're like really true blue buddies because they make each other giggle. And you don't really hear grown men giggle a lot. (laughs) And they do. And they're they're addictive. They're very addictive. I wanted to thank Chris for taking the time out to listen and to leave uh, those messages. Thank you, Um, Chris. Yeah. yeah. uh, I've listened to a couple episodes and I've enjoyed what I've heard. And I'm looking forward to hearing more. I've got Invasion of the Blood Farmers and the erotic one. I forget what they talk about. Oh, I just listened the to the erotic one, one today. The, that was the, the last iPod, episode for iPod, me. Because I've, I've got Invasion of the Blood Farmers and Silent Night, Bloody Night, playing for my dogs. So. Oh, well then. You've got to. Because they, they're going to want to hear about it too. And, uh, and, and if you want to listen, one of the guys sounds like he could be a member of the Beatles. I don't know which one it I is. Think, I think you're talking about Chris. He sounds like he, Davy Jones. He sound, what, Yeah, one of them sounds exactly like... Whenever you hear early '60s interview with the Beatles, yeah, I I, I sat there listening. Go well, you know, oh, they're one of the Beatles. They're from Liverpool, or they oh, live oh, there, there you now. Go. Maybe they, they both sound like the Beatles. I think I, they're oh, from different parts 
I don't know enough about England and accents to speak to it, but I, I've heard people refer to one of them coming from one area and one of them coming from another, but I think they both live in Liverpool now. All right. Um, the other guy, Tom, um, he also does a Twilight Zone podcast, which I've started downloading, oh, 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 oh. and I want to watch along. I just haven't had a chance. Oh, um, he also wow. interviews uh, people like – so they, they're part of what's called Gentleman's Grindhouse Radio or Gentleman Grindhouse Records. Mm-hmm. And um, you should just Google that. They're on Facebook. And they have this whole series of different types of podcasts. They do a Night Gallery podcast. They also do one. They're, I think they're starting to do one called The History of Horror with Chris Brown, who is the Video Nasties expert. I actually listened to his Video Nasties podcast, and that might be how I heard about this podcast. I can't remember. And so they have a whole network. They have another show, and I wish I could remember the name of it. I haven't heard it yet, but it's a guy and a girl that live in Utah, and they call the show all the time and leave, like, MP3 files for them. They watch along a lot, and um, they're really interesting. So uh, I can't recommend them enough. So check them out and leave them some nice feedback when awesome. you hear them because I think you really like it. And um, in case you want to get in touch with us and tell us that our shows run way too long. Um, <laughs> this one may have. Yeah, I, I thought this one was going to go about seventy-four minutes. I thought I did too. We were going, we were speeding through, and then yes, something happened. That length. Yeah. So you can reach us at uh, the website, which is tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com. You can email us at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us on Facebook. Uh, just look at TV Mayhem Podcast or the TV Mayhem, Made for TV Mayhem Podcast show, and you should find it. And you can follow us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. So as long as you remember TV Mayhem Podcast, you're going to find us somewhere. Um, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, we will let you know what's going on uh, with the next show as soon as we know. And just to reiterate, Bad Ronald is available through Warner Archives. And Through Naked Eyes is currently streaming on Amazon Video. Very um, easy to watch it three times in a row. Which yeah, is I did. definitely. It's a, it's a kind of a rare movie. Uh, I've not really, it's only on VHS. So um, if you get a chance to catch it streaming and you can, I think you should check it out. Um, and that's it. And so we're going to close out with, shoot, I have two songs here. <laughs> Flip a coin. Yeah, I guess we'll close out with the uh, Through Naked Eyes main theme. And uh, if I feel randy i'll add the flute at the end okay. sometimes she does we'll, yeah. we'll see we'll cross see how, your fingers how edgy i get so good night everybody thank you good night everyone mm-hmm.